This is Jocko Podcast number 223 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Modern combat is chaotic, intense, and shockingly destructive. In your first battle, you will experience the confusing and often terrifying sights, sounds, smells, and dangers of the battlefield. But you must learn to survive and win despite them. One, you could face a fierce and relentless enemy. Two, you could be surrounded by destruction and death. Three, your leaders and fellow soldiers may shout urgent commands and warnings. Four, rounds might impact near you. Five, the air could be filled with the smell of explosives and propellant. Six, you might hear the screams of a wounded comrade. However, even in all this confusion and fear, Remember that you are not alone. You are part of a well-trained team backed by the most powerful combined arms force and the most modern technology in the world. You must keep faith with your fellow soldiers. Remember your training and do your duty to the best of your ability. If you do and you uphold your warrior ethos, you can win and return home with honor. This is the soldier's field manual. It tells the soldier how to perform the combat skills needed to survive on the battlefield. All soldiers across branches and components must learn these basic skills. Non-commissioned officers must ensure that their soldiers receive training on and know these vital combat skills. So, that right there is the opening introduction of the U.S. Army Field Manual 3-TAC 21.75, the warrior ethos and soldier combat skills. And after that intro, the field manual itself is just filled with these skills, vast skills that are the backbone of being a good soldier. Things like this, things like combat casualty care and casualty evacuation, how to work in the desert, in the jungle, in Arctic conditions, how to use cover, concealment, and camouflage, how to prepare fighting positions, fighting positions in urban environments, fighting positions in rural environments, immediate actions, fire and movement, Fire movement on foot and fire movement in vehicles. Things like how to move effectively through open areas, how to get past windows, how to maneuver around corners, how to enter a building, clear a room, how to conduct reconnaissance missions, how to shoot a variety of weapons. And not just shoot them, but how do you battle zero those weapons? How do you use reflexive fire? What are your immediate actions on failure of your weapon systems? And of course, there's communications. You gotta learn a bunch of different radios and radio voice voice procedures. And then on top of that, you you got the classic survival, evasion, resistance, escape in the event that you get captured. 
What about chemical, biological, and radiological weapons? How do you face those? How do you, what are the decontamination and treatment procedures for all those? What about mines? What about demolitions? What about breaching procedures? What about IEDs? How do you identify them? How do you find them? How do you disarm or destroy them? Those are some of the things you need to learn. And on top of all that, what about your army values? What about the law of land warfare? The code of conduct? The soldier's creed and the warrior ethos? This manual is packed. And that is a lot to learn. It's a lot to track. And quite frankly, what that manual covers is the basics. The fundamentals. That's like the starting point. Because there are countless skills beyond those fundamentals. And the longer that a soldier stays on task, the longer he stays operational, the more proficient he becomes at those fundamental skills and then moves on to advanced skills that have tighter standards and more detail and more modalities. And one thing about being a, a soldier is you never, you never master it. There's, t- there's too much. There's too many things to know, too many things to understand, too many things to practice, too many things to rehearse, too many things to exercise, and too many things to execute. To be truly good at these. And I'll tell you what, these skills, they're not only applicable to soldiers. They're all applicable to life. They're all useful in life. And maybe it's because there's so much. Sometimes, sometimes people, sometimes soldiers, sometimes service men and women, they let those skills slide as time goes on. They become softer, they weaken. But there are some soldiers and some people that continue to strive that continue to push, that continue to try become faster and stronger and more skilled and more accurate and more lethal. And they never stop aspiring to be their best. And, and those, those are the true sentinels of freedom who not only strive to be their best, but also pass on their knowledge to others. That's what they do with their lives. And it's an honor to have one of those sentinels with us here tonight. Retired special forces soldier, tactical shooting instructor, and all around highly skilled and capable combat veteran. Pat McNamara. Pat? Brother, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, man, thanks for coming on. It's, uh, I know we linked up, I forget how, you sent me a message, I sent you a message or something, yep. Yep. And but you finally were able to come out here and you, know, you said, hey, you're gonna be around? I'm like, I can make it happen. <laughs> you know, the beauty of the interwebs, right? I, I meet some really great people, I mean, outstanding, people with great character and uh, all positive attributes. So 
and when I meet him, like you, for example, all I knew, knew you through is through the interwebs. Never, we've never met in person. But you could siphon through the bullshit and tell whether or not somebody's legit and whether they're, you know, uh, whether they're honorable person, whether they got good work ethic and all that shit. So um, the people I meet, I'm very fortunate to have met some great uh, people because of the uh, the interwebs, and you're one of them. So <laughs> thank you so much for uh, making this happen. So. Well, you and I got some things in common. One of them is we both uh, got in the military pretty quick. We yep. also both grew up in New England. Yeah. So well, let's go. Let's go right to the beginning. Cool. Where this started. Mm-hmm. You grew up in Connecticut. Yep. And uh, what, did, were you a sport? Were you an athlete? Uh, you know what? I I I started out like my early like tweens years. Uh, kind of. Um, I was an odd kid, man. I was an oddball. You know, I, I was. I was probably, uh, my dad was probably disappointed, but he supported all my oddball shit that I wanted to do. I mean, I had all the sissy hobbies. Really? I was not an athlete. I was, I was, uh, I was the kid who got picked on. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, I would ride a unicycle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Boys. Well, there, there was a reason for it. And there, there was a time when I went through a metamorphosis and I had, it was like a sink or swim type of thing. But you know, I would I would, I'd ride a unicycle to school. I drew. I watched birds. I pick flowers. All that stuff. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I was I was a big time sissy. And then um, I had a I had a, a window of opportunity to get tough. Uh, and I had some mentors mm-hmm. uh, in my neighborhood <clears throat> who pointed me down a road. Uh, and the window of opportunity was. It was basically like survival because mm-hmm. uh, I had an older brother who tormented me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a horrible person. Uh, and when he went to prison the first time, I was right at like 15 years old. So, you know, as a teenager, you're, you know, you're growing. You, you have the capacity to really grow mm-hmm. and be somebody. And I had neighbors and said, hey, man, what are you going to do with this time? You have this time. And I didn't even think of it as that. I had no idea what they were talking about. You have this time to 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 prepare for his uh, re you know for, uh, for him to come back home. You have time. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I started wrestling. That was a big thing. Um, and the wrestling turned me around. Teacher. And my first two years, I sucked. But my mm-hmm. second two years, I was I was badass. Mm-hmm. I, my senior year, I could not be beaten. Uh, because I fell in love with it, and I would go to the college during the summers and practice with the college students, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was lifting weights and and uh, you know running back and forth to work and stuff like that. Uh, so I was able to uh, like self govern. I didn't need anybody to drive me because I saw the results. I saw it was happening. I saw the change. Um, got in a couple street fights. So that you know you learn. You learn whether or not you could cut the mustard in the neighborhood based on you know who's who's picking a fight with you and how and what the results are, whether you're getting your ass beat with humility or you're kicking somebody's ass. Mm-hmm. Either way, you know you're learning a lot about yourself. What'd you in do in the street years. fights? Double leg slam? Yeah, round exactly, and pound? exactly. Double leg takedown. <laughs> you know, to a dump, to a headlock, to a couple punches in the face. Yes. Yep. Um, exactly. Those were the, you know, they talk about like the good old days. 
you, you like you know in the good old days we didn't use guns and knives whatever <laughs> hey in the good old days it was just double leg headlock that's right double leg, double leg. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, that's what a street fight was yeah, yeah there wasn't yeah. any of this jujitsu or muay thai no double leg headlock yeah punches to the face but i tell you you had a real advantage if you oh, knew a little sure. bit of fight you for know back sure. then because you know back then i think fight training was you know taekwondo or yeah, stuff yeah. like that you know it was karate yeah um yeah there was no like muay thai and jujitsu and stuff so if you were wrestling uh yeah you had a big advantage on the street yeah there was a there was a guy when I was a new guy at SEAL Team One. There was like a guy that had the reputation of being a fighter because he was some kind of, some kind of karate guy or something yep. like that. And this is this is the '90s, right? right? This isn't that long ago, but it's before UFC One. So people kind of thought, well, you know, if you did karate, man, I don't, you know, that guy, I mean, you know, and and there was a little inter platoon scrap between the karate kid, we'll say. <laughs> Wrestler. And the kid sure. that was a wrestler, right, uh, and a good wrestler, like mm-hmm. a state champ wrestler, right. yeah, probably and, midwesterner or something. And he, you know, it was exactly what what happened in the fight. The karate kid got in his karate stance, and the uh, wrestler did a double leg slam headlock punch, right. And, and everyone's like, "Dang!" And, and what's crazy is now that I'm thinking about it, even back then, it was kind of like, "Well, that must have just been, you know, a, a fluke mm-hmm. that the that the karate kid didn't do whatever." Uh, Dim mock and kill him on the spot. So so uh, so wrestling was uh, huge huge for you. Yeah, big. Yeah, massive. So that really that changed that changed me uh, in every every way. You know, both physically and mentally. Uh, it just and it, it's so funny because I talk a lot a lot. I talk about it a lot with different special op guys. And one of the big common denominators is most of them were wrestlers in high school, you know, or, or a really big percentage of them were wrestlers in high school. Because I think it, it, that's the one sport where even though you're on a team, you know, you're not relying on a team or you, you're representing a team and you're earning points toward, for your team <laughs> and you have to be a team player. But you have to be self-driven too. You know, you have if you want to be the best, you have to think. Well, I need to do a thousand reps of this thing. I need to get my grip strength better. I need better balance. I need to do more sprints. I need you know to um, um, uh, increase my shoulder strength. Whatever it is, yep. you know, you had to you had to be very introspective. Unlike you know, because I played other sports, and and there's some there's some common ground with them too, but. But with the wrestling, you know, you're mano mano with another dude for that six minutes in time. And, man, that's a long freaking six minutes if it goes six minutes. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> you know what else is? And um, there's another big thing, a big psychological thing. And my son just, just wrapped up his season. And you know what? The season didn't end how he wanted it to end. Yeah. And his coach, who's a great guy, uh, came up to me, you know, and, and, and he, you know, I was just standing there, you know, I was bummed out, but I'm not like super emotional about the thing. Mm-hmm. But his coach comes up and says, I said, yeah, it's a bad day. And he goes, yeah, it's a bad day to have a bad day. And I said, yeah. And he goes, wrestling very rarely ends the way you want it to. Yeah. Hmm. And if you think about that, you know, you go into a 64 man bracket, there's one person that that day ends the way they wanted it to, right. or two days ends. And then guess what? That person's going to the next tournament. Right. And what are the chances that? So really, 
And when you get done with the season, if you're the champion for the season, guess what? That means you've got another season coming up. And eventually, eventually you're not going to be happy with the outcome, right? right? That's what's going to happen. So what's what I love about it is, you know, especially like you're saying, your freshman, sophomore year, you're just getting beat down. Yeah. And so many kids I see in the wrestling program, they that first year, you know, if they're getting beat down because they've never wrestled before, they can't take it. Yeah, they're quitting. And they quit it. Yep. And they quit. Mm-hmm. But people that are tough and they they look at themselves and say, well, I at least see how I can get myself better. Yep. How did it work out when your brother got home? It it, it turned out really, really well. <clears throat> um, he, I was upstairs uh, at the top of the stairwell and I was – in the bathroom, I was taking a dump. Was he in juvie or was no, he no, old? no? He was, so he's yeah, he was in the big, he was state. He okay. was yeah. He went to the big, he went to the pen, state pen. Um, <laughs> I'll think about the name because you'll remember it. You'll know the the name of the town and everything. Uh, it'll it'll hit me. But he came upstairs and uh, basically kicked the bathroom door open, and I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down taking <laughs> that's a dump like out of a movie. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> that's like I'm, the ultimate bully yeah, move. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep, and. I'm intimidated and I'm and I'm now I'm, I'm embarrassed too because I got my pants around my ankles, and I said, "Hey, get you know get the hell out of here!" Uh, and he's he turns and he, I could tell he's stoned out of his mind, and he's got his fist in my face. You know, one of those say I won't, say I won't. And I pull my pants up and I said, "You won't!" And I freaking just straight right, just straight overhand right, bam! And it went almost through his face and he went down the stairs. And then what did I do? I followed him downstairs. He got up. Double leg takedown, <laughs> headlock, and punch him in the face. And, and my parents were sitting in the kitchen. And um, they crossed their legs and just watched it happen. They were like, it's about time this guy gets uh, This is up in comments right here, you know. This is karma. Yeah. They didn't do a thing. So I got, you know, those blicks in and uh, told them goodbye and boogied out the door because uh, I was going out. And was that your senior year? That was my junior year. Yep. At what point did you start looking at the at the military? Uh, that year, yep. I I, I knew I <clears throat> so it, in, yeah junior year, uh, sixteen seventeen is when I knew I had to uh, I had to do that. And I had no idea what I, anything was with the military. So it's funny because when I went to the recruiters, I didn't <laughs> tell my dad, and I went to all the recruiters. I had no pre- I had no mm-hmm. I had no preference. Wasn't like I had allegiance because you know somebody's dad was in the Marine Corps forever or or wore the Army colors or anything like that. <clears throat> I didn't care. I just wanted I wanted to be a tough guy. So I went to each one of the recruiters and and the vetting process was who could fast track me, who could put me on a road to to badassery the fastest. That was it. <laughs> I wanted to fast track to badassery. So at the time, the Army had the best answer. Um, because they had two programs. They had r- Rangers, mm-hmm. uh, and then they had the SF Baby program, 18 X-Ray. Mm-hmm. So um, I signed up for that, and I went home and told my dad. My dad was like – he was a little put off because I didn't tell him. He said, hey, we're going, we're going back there, but I'm bringing my lawyer because I don't want this guy to fuck you. And sure as shit, man, when I went back with the lawyer, he was doing some scrambling with the paperwork. Check. Yeah, he was he was changing some numbers or digits around or whatever. <laughs> so I'm so glad that my dad hooked me up like that, you know, uh, because it could have gone really bad. 
I mean, it mostly did. I mean, it's it's so funny. It, it's it's so funny because I look at that career, and and you have to be so lucky, you know, with this. And I tell all the uh, all these guys who uh, you know contact me on the interwebs and stuff. They say, "Hey, I want to be a CEO. I want to be a force recount. All this stuff." And 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 it's hard to explain to them the amount, not only how how tenacious you have to be, but the amount of luck involved in that road. Yep. I say, guys, this is, it's, it's, it's a good road to take. It's a bumpy road. There's no shortcuts, but it's a well, uh, it's a road worth taking. Yeah. But damn, man. I mean, cause the amount of times I failed throughout my 22 year career, I could write a book just on failures. Mm-hmm. You know, on the amount of shit that I failed and had to go back and do again. Yeah. The injuries and the recoveries and the surgeries and another failure, another failure, another failure. And <laughs> I mean, and, and it's easy. It's it's pretty easy to go, well, I failed that one. So I'm probably just not cut out for that thing. Mm-hmm. But with most special ops guys, they don't stop at one thing. They don't like for, for instance, become airborne ranger and say, well, this is it. This is pinnacle. I'm peeking out here. Uh, I'm going to just accept this. I mean, it's a great career path, but most of them say, what's the next step? You know, what's the next step? Let me go and see if I could, uh, you know, go to Halo school. Let me go to combat dive school. Let me uh, go to SF course. Let me try out for selection and go to the uni. You know, for most of them, they want to keep progressing and progressing and progressing. So the opportunity in the, and the, um, not the opportunity, but the chance, the chances of failure become greater and greater because, you know, you're volunteering over and over and over. So whenever I talk to young kids and they want to be, you know, they have it, they have it in their mind. I want to be a SEAL. I'm like, that's great, but just understand, you know, I'm all about it. And, 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 you know, if you've got a good, if you got a good, but it's the hard part for me is to tell them there's a lot of luck involved. Yeah. I thought you were going to say there's no shortcuts and there's no guarantees. That, that's that's it too. There's, yeah, just like that road. There's no yep. shortcuts on that road. Yep. Yep. That's why one thing that I, 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 I pretty much, I, one thing I try not to do is say, yep, you should do it. Right. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and, and the worst thing yeah. about the Navy and going for the SEAL teams is, Look, if that's the kind of lifestyle you want to live, do you want to carry a machine gun? That's great, right? If you don't make it in the SEAL teams, yeah. then you're not carrying a machine gun right. at all. Right. Hey, if you don't make it through SF or you don't make it as a ranger, or you don't make it to Force Recon, you can still be a grunt, which yep. is awesome. Right. And that's what you want to do. I've wanted to be a grunt since I was born. Yep. So, so when I joined the Navy, I, I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even recognize that. I was too dumb. But... It's it's no guarantee. There's no shortcut. And man, yeah, it takes luck. You you land wrong on a jump. You you know get hurt for in in the basic SEAL training. There's something called rock portage where there's big waves. You're landing boats in these gi- giant rocky area, mm-hmm. and it's no fa- it's it's too easy just to step off a rock, wave hits, your knees right. blown out. Yeah. Two years of recovery, mm-hmm. you put on weight, you're fat, you're out of shape, you know, you go back, you get stress fractures, you're done. I yep. mean, that happens all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. I was, I was a toad jumper, my second jump. I was 18 years old. <laughs> 18 years old. I was a freaking toad jumper. I got towed all the way across Friar Drop Zone. <laughs> Pulled my bicep into my forearm, broke my ribs, dislocated shoulder, concussion. I mean, I was jacked up. And I had just joined. 
That was my first failure. That was number one. That's, and that set me back, bro. Yeah, that's... Getting in that airplane again? <laughs> was that, What number jump was that for you? Number two. Oh. <laughs> so I, had st- I had still had three left, or three or four, whatever it is, in jump school. So toe jumper is... That's that's just a nightmare. Yeah. And they brief it all the time. I've never even... Yeah. S- I've never seen one. Yeah. Um, they brief it all the time. So talk us through... <laughs> Talk us through being a toe jumper. <clears throat> well, for I mean, for people who don't know, you know, when you start out a jump career, that's how you start with a with static line. So the static line is hooked to an inboard cable inside the aircraft, and when you jump out of the airplane, you hit the the um, uh, the end of the static line, and it deploys your chute. It, it pulls the chute out, and subsequently, you know. It, the chute inflates and you float to the ground straight down. It's a round chute. There's not a lot of skill involved. Yeah. And the key part is that that once that static line pulls the chute out, it lets go. Right. It they're lets not, go. They're not connected. Right. So it just pulls the chute out. The chute is now inflated and the static line stays with the aircraft. Static line stays that's with the, the aircraft. Yep. So, and there's many different ways. To right. That's what's supposed to happen. There's a lot of different ways you could become a toe jumper. One is it, it's a, it's a fault of the rigger. So the rigger did something and there's a knot somewhere within the um uh uh you know the the lines of the canopy or what have you so those are pretty rare <clears throat> um another <laughs> more common one is a fault of the jumper you know so the jumper does something wrong you know he he uh he doesn't hand it to the uh, to to the uh to the safety the right way his static line because as you as you're going down you know, uh, uh, the aircraft toward the door, you've got the static line in your hand and the last step before you exit is to hand it to the safety, the jump master. And he collects it up and he, you know, pushes them away uh, from the jumpers. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all very well rehearsed and it's choreographed and it, there's a lot of theater too. It looks cool. Um, so I must have just like chucked it at him and it got away from him. And it went like under my reserve and around my arm. So I am ha- not even halfway. I'm at the beginning of the stick. Uh, double door, C-130. I'm at the beginning of the stick. I go out and instant fire through my whole body, instant. I, go, I hit the end of the static line, and I feel my whole body just jerk and go with the aircraft. I was ha- lucky that... The static line was under my reserve and not just around the arm, because that would, you know, my arm would just come off, bro. You know, <laughs> but uh, so it's under the reserve, around the arm. So there was some friction there with the static line around the equipment. Uh, the rest of it was around my arm, and I remember I had the whereabouts to look up the length of the static line, and I could see jumpers coming over the top of me. But this wasn't. Now, don't get me wrong. This was not me beating. I was scared shitless. Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking up going, oh, my God. You know, this This is, I was horrified. It was, you know, a moment of horror. Um, and over, 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 I could see jumpers jumping over me, and I'm going, what in the hell? You know, the training said, you know, put your hands on your reserve and wait to get pulled in and all this stuff. And, and, um, and I'm not remembering any because I can't do this. I can't put my because your arm is too jacked. Arms up, up. yeah. Oh, is your arm like tangled in the static line? Yep. Oh, yep. 
now, and, and most of the tension is around the reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some, and I keep hitting the airplane. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, I hit. Because just so everyone knows, because you're in 130, 140 right. mile an hour yep. wind. Yep. That's what's right. that's what's tossing you around. So I'm getting slammed up against the aircraft, <laughs> and um, thankfully, I get slammed hard enough, and it comes loose. So I, you know, fall end of the static line. Boom! Shoot deploys. Had had that not happened, there's no way I would have had the whereabouts to pull my reserve. No freaking way, because I was already you know shocky. You know the body is amazing. You know when you reach you know pain level ten, the body compensates. You know and says, "Let's take care of you and put you into some shock here, mm-hmm. so you know so you don't feel it that bad." But I remember being very very uncomfortable under canopy, and I was groaning and moaning, just uh, you know, just moaning and groaning. And I was all the way at the end of Friar. Now I was supposed to be like way up at the leading edge. I was all the way at the end. I mean, right like at the wood line. Uh, and I hit the ground and I land on that side. Boom! Right on those ribs and all that soft shit right on that arm. Now to add insult to injury, <laughs> I'm laying there and I'm going, Ugh! you know, I'm just an 18 year old punky kid, bro. You know, I've done nothing but <laughs> basic training at AIT. To add insult to injury, I'm laying there on the ground, and a breeze comes in. Whoosh, my oh. shoot inflates. My shoot inflates, and it starts dragging me across fire drop zone. And I'm getting drugged. Boom, 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 boom. And I can hear you know, the black hats, so the instructors out there would sit, uh, would stand on these platforms with bullhorns. And they were you know placed throughout this massive, what's fryer drop zone? Like a two-minute drop zone or something? It's gigantic. It's massive. And I could hear one of these black cat instructors yelling at me, get up, leg, you over there getting drug, release one of your canopy, re- canopy release assemblies now, leg. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, my God, I better do what he says because I'm going to get in trouble. So I do that. I reach up and pop, pop one of my cable loop type canopy release assemblies. <laughs> and, um, and I'm scared. I'm scared because I think I'm going to get in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, because – because I'm hurt and, and I didn't get permission to get hurt. This is the first time I was ever injured, injured, injured in my life. You know, real injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, I packed all my shit up. You know, I packed all that crap up into that kit bag, threw it on my back. And I remember being really, really scared because there was no signal from my head to my arm. You know, there was no transmission to make it move, to make it work. Um, and then... I remember feeling my face and feeling blood. That was superficial, but, you know, I hit. The the cut was superficial, but I hit hard, you know, against the aircraft. Boom, 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 over and over. Um, So I I got all my shit, and I pack it up, and I I bring it all into the turning area. And the black hats are scanning the crowd because they know that somebody's fucked up. They saw it. And they're scanning the crowd, and I'm going, oh, my God. And a buddy comes up to to me. He goes, hey, bro. You look bad. Because I was, I guess, just ashen white, you know, and I'm dry heaving and stuff. And and I look I look at my arm, and he could see that it was the uh, old school BDUs, uh, like Gen 1 BDUs. I had rope burns around. And I go, yeah, man, I'm hurt really bad. I don't, I don't feel good. And he said, hey, let me help you with that. And he unbuttoned my blouse, and he looked, and that's when I threw up. Because now I'm looking at this arm, and there was, it wasn't open. But it was like translucent, the skin, yeah. and there was no bicep. And he kept pulling it down, and boom, there it was in my forearm. You know, that bicep. <laughs> and uh, um, so the black hats see that, and they come running over. You the guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the medevac already took off with some dude with a broken femur. 
The bird already took off, so they had to bus me back on one of these bluebird bus <laughs> school buses all the way to Martin Army Hospital. <clears throat> and then to add more insult to injury, this is 1983, so there's a bunch of dudes in there with Grenada injuries, like real oh, jump injuries. Damn. You know, and the hospital's filled with these dudes, man, with Rangers and guys from 82nd who have like real combat jump injuries. And I'm here with this toe jumper. <laughs> School, 45th company, oh, duffel bag drag, you know, injury. I was like, oh, my God, this sucks so bad. That was the beginning. Of, I mean, I had but, – but there was a lot of times like that, you know, in my in – my, like I said, I could write a book on, on, on how many times I've, I have failed. But they're funny stories. I try to make them. I try to make them interesting and and funny. Yeah. How did you – just to rewind a little bit, what did you do to get ready – what did you know about special forces training and what did you do to get ready prior to going in? Well, I, I didn't have, I had, oh, prior to going in. So I was wrestling. Uh, I was lifting weights. I was doing a lot of hiking, mm-hmm. you know, like camping and stuff and like that. And is that because you knew, like, I, yeah, I knew they were part of it? Yep. I knew that they were woodsmen and stuff like that. I had a buddy who was, uh, he was, I was a boy scout. Um, I had a buddy who was an Eagle Scout and knew all the mountaineering stuff. Mm-hmm. He was really good. <clears throat> and um, uh, we would go up and do ropes and rappelling and all that, you know. It's also good for fear management when you're mm-hmm. a kid, you know, rappelling off the side of a cliff is great. Mm-hmm. Stuff to help compartmentalize those, you know, fears of heights and things like that. But I, I did a lot of woods running, you know, and just I, – I think for me it was therapeutic and it was more about uh, mental preparation – than physical preparation. Mm-hmm. Physically, I was pretty freaking strong. I was I was very fit. I was a very fit teenager, you know, in my my latter teen years, 17, 18 years old. I was very self-driven. I wanted to be fit. I saw that, you know, that I looked cool too, you know. And uh, <laughs> yes, that's a freaking motivator, bro. When you're 17 and 18 and when you got a physique, <laughs> it's like, yep, I'm gonna I need to I need to work out more because damn, this shit looks good, bro. <laughs> getting jacked. Yeah, getting jacked, yep. Yeah, the, now when you got in, what was the shock to your system like day two of boot camp? Uh so regular boot camp, that was that was scary as hell. I I, I love it how how you know it's all theater. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that. No, you have no idea. But here's the thing, too. Um, Day two. It was actual day two. Um, See, they had the the rules weren't in place yet in 1983 where there there came a point where drill sergeants couldn't uh, physically abuse you. They couldn't hit you, yeah. Um, That point hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. And I watched a drill sergeant right hook or a dude who, you know, made a move at him uh, in formation. You know, one of my peers, private, nothing, E zero. Uh, and he, he was at parade rest and the drill sergeant was yelling at him and they were both size for size. You know, they both looked like badasses. I remember looking at this, this punky kid in this drill sergeant. They both looked like badasses. And the kid, you know, made a jump, boom, and wham, wham. out of nowhere. I mean, hook right to the freaking jaw, timber, drop, boom, just dropped. And I went, holy, that was the scariest thing I ever saw. I'd never seen that in my life before, you know, like that. I mean, I saw some street fights, but 
that you know mano y mano that that fearless guy and that hook was so freaking fast uh and then seeing that guy just timber was yeah i was i was pretty scared <laughs> i know i know that when people listen to podcasts and they'll send me a message and be like hey i just joined i just joined the army i just joined the marine corps i just joined the navy and I always say, listen, the first two weeks, you're saying thank you right now. The first two weeks, you're going to be like hating. Yeah, right. me. You're going to wish you never listened to this podcast yeah, right. because it's such a shock to your system to have every freedom that you have as a human being, every sense of individuality and every sense of privacy, which is like three, some of the three primary things that we value. They're all gone. Yep. They're Stripped gone. From you. Stripped it's a great, away. It's a great culture shock. It's I awesome. love the way they do it, you know? <laughs> I love it. it. The culture shock is is real, you know. And if you're not used to it, you know, just some punky kid who is badass on the wrestling team, and then you you know, then your heads get shaved off, and then you you look the same as everybody else, and then you know you're sleep deprived. Sleep deprived. What is that? You know, <laughs> and you, you have the time limit to eat, and all you know, and then the constant freaking yelling and screaming in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. I think they do. They did well with the, inf- <laughs> with the infantry basic training when I went in, and as, as I could re- recall it now, I I say kudos to those guys mm-hmm. who were who were able to run it like that. I mean, once again, off theater, you know, when I look back, if if I were to go right now through it, I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll play your game. But yeah. I know you're not going to do anything to me. Yeah. It's just going to suck. That's all. I'm thinking though, '83 too. You had a bunch of Vietnam guys yes. still. Never mind. Still had Vietnam. Not Gr- only Grenada, but yeah. damn, you guys had yep. a lot of. I mean, I still lot. had Nam Nam guys in when I got to the teams, but you know, it had been 20 years. Right. So got, there was a lot of guys that retired at 20. A lot of guys that just got out after mm-hmm. whatever they did two or three tours in Vietnam. But for you in '83, right. man, it was yep. just yeah. Calm. They were they were th- matter of fact uh, when I even when I went to the SF course, they were they were thick. Oh hell yeah! Vietnam vets going through the SF course. Oh, going through it. Dang. Yeah, they were thick. And then when I got to a team in first group, uh, you know, my team sergeant was a one seventy third guy. You know, in Vietnam, and and, and they were they, they were a dime a dozen. I mean, you had all of the command were Vietnam vets. If they were NCOs, you know, they were Vietnam vets. If they were E sevens and above, they were all Vietnam vets. So, how long did it take you to recover from the toe jumper scenario? The toe jumper happened in. Uh, October, and I finished jump school a couple months later in uh, end of February. So you recovered and then went back to ju- jump school? N- 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 no, no, that's when I ended jump school. Yes, I recovered and finished jump school end of February ish, something that's like that. Pretty quick recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you had to get bicep surgery, right? Yep, yep. And it was a mess because I split <laughs> the bicep in half. It wasn't like it separated from, oh, the, from tendon. the tendon. It split the bicep in half, so they had to salvage it. So it was about as big as they, the way it explained it to me is as big as round as a pencil. Um, <clears throat> so you can imagine the amount of strength that you lose, you know, and you don't know how much you rely on a bicep when it's when it has to work in compound with other muscles. For instance, doing pull-ups. Because mm-hmm. when I got to the Q course, so now you're starting all the freaking screaming and yelling and sleep deprivation and food deprivation all over again, all over. You just finished it, but now you're doing more of it. Now you're back to beginning. So you went straight from jump school yep. to Q course. Yep. Matter of fact, but yep, right to and I started the Q course on my 19th birthday. Yep, March 5th, yesterday was my birthday. March 5th, uh, 1984. I started the Q course, and um, 
or March 4th. Um, and uh, in Camp McCall, first phase, <clears throat> when they weren't screaming and yelling at you, you're doing classes, patrolling and land nav and survival and all this stuff. Uh, and you were able to get a hot A, one hot meal a day, if you could do 10 pull-ups with your kid on and climb the rope with your kid on. And most everybody was doing that. I wasn't doing it because I had no bicep. And then, now this hurt my pride because I'm fit, you know. I mean, I was a pull-up master. But I just finished all these months in the hospital too. I hadn't done any PT, uh, nothing, you know. Uh, so I had to get I had to get back into shape while I was getting back into shape. <laughs> you know, during the training process, I had to I had to get into shape. Because uh, I was getting those hot rations, and I I did. It took a while, but I got those things. <laughs> and how long is a Q course? Um, for me, <laughs> it was a long time. It was. Uh, it, 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 some of it depends on what your MOS is, like mm-hmm. your second phase. And I don't know how they run it now, as far as like phases go. So there's a first phase, which is all the basic skills: your land nav, your survival, your uh, patrolling. Uh, all your repelling, all all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and getting yelled at, and you know, the first phase just sucks, just just a big suck fest, and there's classes in between sucking. Uh, second phase depends on what your specialty right, is, right. you know. So uh, and you were a, a echo, I, right? Well, I started as weapons guy. Oh, okay. Yep. So I went to the Q courses weapons. I had later reclassed as an echo as a Got communicator. It. Yep. Uh, and then a third phase, which is, you know, big field exercise yep. and uh, doing like your FIDs and your UW and all that. The the the, um, the traditional special forces tasks. Right. Yep. So, but yeah, I, I, I failed out of first phase and it was, I failed first, I failed survival in first phase. <laughs> Now, I was an SF baby, keep in mind, and, and the senior guys did not dig that there were privates going through the Q course. There was some animosity there, bro. They, they weren't digging that shit at all. They were like keepers of the crypt, you know. Um, survival was cool, and I don't think they run it <coughs> the same way anymore. I'm not even sure they do it all, but back then it was six days. You got no food. Uh, <clears throat> they send you they, – they drop you off in an area of – like Uori National Forest, and they give you one ration for those six days, and it's either a live chicken or a live rabbit. Now they teach you prior to you know you get you learn all the field craft stuff and everything, you know how to make fire, how to kill stuff, all this stuff. Uh, and then within those six days, you have you have a list of twenty two things you have to accomplish, and a lot of them aren't easy. You know you got to build this massive signal, uh, you got to build a shelter, you got to keep a fire going twenty four seven, you got to find water, you got to filter water, you know th- just a lot of things. Um, but I'm going to try to cut this one just a little short, but I was, I was thriving and survive. I was kicking ass because I did a lot of it as a kid running around the woods, fishing and stuff like that. So I was crushing it and I found a pond that was within the confines of my, because they, they told you, you know, here's where you are. You could only move within this amount, this radius, you know, you can't go, I forget what it was, but within the confines of my uh, boundary, I found a little pond. It was right on the edge of it. Well, where there's pond, people fish. Where people fish, people throw trash. And sure, shit, I found a little camping spot. And and I found trash. And I was licking like yodel wrappers and stuff. <laughs> <clears throat> I found a, little remnants of chocolate. 
Um, and I found fishing line in the tree, in the trees, because guys were casting, whoosh, you know. So I climbed these trees and pulled, and meticulously pulled out all these str- these nice long strings of of good fishing line, bobber hooks, all this stuff. And uh, as I'm looking around this campsite, I see a beer can sitting up on a log, and I go over. I feel it and I go oh man there's freaking beer there's something in here I'm smelling it <laughs> so I cut the top open with my knife and sure enough you know it's like two thirds full you know beer and there's bugs on it and I chug a lug this thing <laughs> I, then I go fishing and I catch a, a stringer load of these massive bluegills a stringer load I mean like sustenance like <laughs> like I'm gonna get full tonight <laughs> now when you when I went back to my campsite you know, priorities work, start over again, get your fire going, make sure, you know, everything's squared away because the tax or the instructors come by every night to check on you, make sure you're alive, mm-hmm. and they read your log because you got to log what you did during the day. And he's looking at my stringer fish, and I got some smoking, you know, <laughs> and he's like, what in the hell? I said, yeah, I got it, you know, all these fish and blah, blah, blah. And and, uh, and I was ch- I found uh, – that worms are when you're hungry, they are good, and if you cook them, there's they're just food, bro. They're, yeah, they're just not just food. You know, you cook them in a little bit of water in your in your canteen cup. There's nothing freaking gross about them, and they are good. So I was I was chowing down, not only on the worms, but I was on all this fish, and I was smoking it. I hadn't even killed my chicken yet. This is like day three. I hadn't killed it. Chicken just walking. I got him tied up with a little piece of uh, the gutted 550 cord. He's just walking around. Yeah, he's like a, my buddy. Um, but that was part of the task, so I had to kill him eventually because that was on the checklist. Uh, but I was saving him for a rainy day. But the, the instructor's reading my log, and he goes, what's this here about a beer? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah. So I found it, blah, blah, blah. And this chicken shit motherfucker pulls out his wallet and pulls out a card and he goes, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can, he read me my rights, bro. Because you know why? Because I was drinking beer on duty. Dude, this is survival, bro. <laughs> he was pissed that I was surviving. So and, you that were, was, and you were a private. Right, and I was a private. So that was the 10 points. So you have, the, there was this point system. Uh, and I already lost a bunch of points just doing dumbass shit. <clears throat> But that was the, my last 10 points. I had to go, I had to re, they allowed me to recycle because I, I, and this is the last thing you're doing. And first, first phase sucks, man. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> I remember, you know, like I'm patrolling, being so cold and sleep deprived, deprived that I pissed myself, you know, on <laughs> like 33% security. I mean, and, so now I have to do this all over again. Oh, first phase. And, but that, that, that was the story of my life in the military. I mean, and that's the kind of thing, though, like you were saying earlier, that's the kind of thing that gets people's heads. Oh, right. Because they it's go, you know what, I'm not, say, yeah, you know, they, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not doing all this yeah. again. I made it this far. Now you're going to tell me to do all that again. Right. It's not, you, you guys are stupid. I don't even want to be a part of this <laughs> right. group yeah. of people right. that are assholes. Yeah. No, right. it's not happening. Yeah. They it get was, in your head for sure. It was very easy when I left Camp McCall and went back to Fort Bragg and got hot, you know, chow hall food in me in a shower to go, yeah, this is this is comfort here. This is where I want to stay. <laughs> it, you know, you, there, there's that point where you, you you could accept, you know, being mediocre, you know, where I could see it. And I was like, no, no fucking way, man. I want that so bad. I want that Green Beret so bad. I really want that. And they are giving me the opportunity because they didn't have to. 
They could have said, fuck you. They're giving it to me? Hell yeah, man. I took that shit. Oh, man. I did the same thing with combat dive school. And that, when, when, when did you go to combat dive school? Was that so, when you were already at a group? Yeah, so I was in first group. Um, well, before we get there, so what was the rest of, you know, the Q course? Yeah, or? the rest of the Q course. Did you um, did you have to do language back then? No, back then, no language. We did that when we got to group. Got it. Yep. So the rest of it just kind of, it it sucked because you, because you needed some experience. You needed to know how to write an operations order, and you needed to know what, you know, five-point contingency plan was and PACE report and OCOCA and all those acronyms. You know, as a private, you don't have any of that. You, Guys who were coming, and they had, you know, 82nd, back, 82nd okay. Airborne background or Rangers. I mean, they were actually the, squared away squad leaders yeah, from, yeah, yeah. This at is a the, minimum. They knew the Ranger handbook, you know, by heart, inside out. I knew none of that shit. <laughs> none of it. None of it. So, <clears throat> thankfully, there was these staff sergeants and E7s who saw me and went, there's something about you. And they kind of took on the responsibility as mentor, and I, I jumped on it. I, I hung out with those guys. You know, these guys were like 1st Ranger Battalion, you know, 82nd Airborne. I mean, they were hardened infantry dudes for, for sure. like six years already. And they knew all that shit. All of it, because um, with it, it, there was no way without them, there's no way I would have made it. No freaking way. Uh, you just don't have you don't have the freaking sense, and you got to know. There comes a time when you're going through training like that where you got to know. You know what? Who am I going to align myself with? Who is it that I'm going to align myself with? And and I can't look like a shithead. I got to make sure that I'm never late, light out of uniform, because otherwise these squared away soldiers they're not going to want me to hang out with him, you know, <laughs> if I'm just some piece of shit uh, who's literally strap hanging on to them, I want them to want me to hang out with them. So I made that happen by, you know, being uh, work ethic, you know, vo- volunteering for the shit duties out in the field, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, because nobody wants to volunteer. You know, when you're out patrol, nobody wants to volunteer. When you're patrolling and somebody says, hey, we need to build this or... Uh, go on this reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, but I could stay here in a patrol base. So I volunteer for every one of those things. <clears throat> but, you, you know, you, I learned a lot mm-hmm. on those too because I'm with some infantry badass dude, some grunt, and, um, you know, he's teaching me along the way, just OJT. So, it, it, I mean, I made it by the skin of my teeth, I would say. You know, that training. I did not graduate as an undergraduate or anything like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, down the road, I did I did very well at different schools. But uh, Well, it's like that thing where, you know, you get the kids in school that got held back a year. Right. You know, and they, they, they do a lot better. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're that young, and I was the same way. I enlisted when I was 18, and it's just like, I look back now, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm same thing. Like, okay, I'm glad I made it through because yeah, yeah. there was guys that were a little older, and you just think, man, they had a, they just knew more. They were physically more developed than mm-hmm. I was. And, you know, you just, just try and hang on, man. Yep. Hang on. Yeah. So let me, let me just <laughs> snap link to you, man. Yep. I got yeah, a little bit of line that, here. That's another thing is uh, in basic SEAL training, there's 
you don't learn you basically don't learn anything right it's just six months of just suck just yep. just this is just gonna suck mm-hmm. you don't really you don't go on I mean like I say you don't go on patrol you go on some patrols you know you go through the land warfare phase which is six weeks and you go on a you know you go on long humps and you do these little missions but it's not it's it's not anything. It's you don't you're not actually learning anything. You're just having to suck it up. It's it's a good way to trim the fat though. Oh, yeah, Who for really sure. wants to be here because SF what now they have, you know, a, like a selection and assessment process. Back then it was called preface. So it was just a couple of weeks of just beat down. Yep. That's it. It was PT four times a day and you know, three hours of sleep a night. Yeah. For a couple and there was no rhyme or reason to it. There was nothing. There was not a I don't think there was a single piece of hip pocket training. Yeah. You know, it was just formation, run, push-ups, sit-ups, get up, get down, roll over, <laughs> uh, go m- clean this, clean that, pick up those pine cones, PT again. Yeah. It, just, yeah, just a beat down. But it was a good way to trim the fat. For sure. These guys are like, fuck this, bro. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> so you graduate, you get through, and then where, where, where'd you go from I there? I went to uh, first group uh, out of Fort Lewis, yeah, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. Arctic jungle. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We used to go up there and trade. Right. It's freaking right. awesome. Arctic jungle, really. Yeah. yeah. South Rainier training area, you know, um, that's like a jungle. And if Bigfoot exists, that's He's where there. he lives. 100%. <laughs> that's where he lives, man. Holy crap, man. And so you check in. So what did you do when you checked in? Did you go to an A-team right out of the yeah, gate? Yeah, right, right out of the gate. I went right to an A-team. And, man, talk about being intimidated all over again. I'm the only private on this team. You know, Team Sergeant's Vietnam vet. Uh, I mean, the the team commander was badass. There were two other. There was another Vietnam vet, and every one of these dudes was from Ranger Battalion. Not even eighty second. They were all Rangers, all of them. And then me. <laughs> yep, me. No asset. I have nothing to offer. What am I? I'm a cherry weapons dude on a freaking A team. Just a cherry who could PT his ass off. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. You know, I could PT my ass off. And I could volunteer for all the shit duties and make sure that every you know all my kid is squared away and that and that I'm gonna I'm gonna you know and then I'm gonna stay out of trouble. So and you've been in the army for what, like two years at this point? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. If that year a, and a half, a year and a half. And the other guy's been in the army for ten years. Oh right, twelve 10, years, yeah, yeah, six years, right, nine years. Yeah, and yeah. you're the only guy. That's it. <laughs> yep, yep. It was. Oh my god. And they're nom vets. Yeah. Yes, right. I was the new guy so many times. Even when I went. So this to is like eighty five or something like that. Yeah. No. Before this is eighty four when I went to oh, first group. Eighty four. I got there. End of eighty four. Beginning eighty five. The cool thing too is, um, I got opportunity just like that. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, do you want to go to this school? That school? I was like, hell yeah, send me. You know, if you're if you're asking me. Then, yeah, the answer is yes. I want to do all of the things. Yeah, all of them. I don't want to just ride it out and accept mediocrity, you know, and be just be another dude. I want to be top on that totem pole. Um, oh, yeah. So my battalion sergeant major mm-hmm. was famous uh, uh, Vietnam vet, like um, uh, Donald J. Taylor, uh, but highly decorated. Uh, he saw me one morning and um, I was running through the uh, battalion area and he goes, Private Mac, come here. 
And he looked. Remember Jack uh, Jack Palance, the actor. Yep. He's kind of like Jack Palance, you know. <laughs> Had that scowl on his face. I go, yes, sir, Major. Why don't we snap to parade rest? He goes, I'm having a surprise inspection at the barracks this morning, and I want you to be my recorder. I'm like, oh. I'm going. My room is fucked up. Bro. <laughs> yeah, it's jacked. It's jacked. Well, the thing is, like, uh, that morning, I got a call from Greyhound because I shipped all my stuff. Greyhound, because back then, you know, it it was like $15 anywhere in the country. So I had it shipped from uh, Fort Bragg to Fort Lewis, all my duffel bags. uh, And my team started to say, go pick your shit up at Greyhound. I went and got it, brought it back to my room, dumped it all over the freaking room. And then right after accountability formation at like 09 or whatever, that's when he grabbed me. And I'm going, oh, my God. I go, Roger, that's our major. When do you want to start? He goes, you got something to write on, something to write with? I said, yes, yes, our manager. He goes, let's start right now. <laughs> and uh, my, my room, I, I, we did three, four. We lived in the old, uh, it was those uh, World War II barracks, you know, <laughs> World War II, the, the, the white freaking, the raised, they got the yeah, big yeah. Um, um, crawl space underneath of yeah. them. Uh, and I swear mine, mine was the last room to get inspected. Last building, last room. And he's been ransacking shit. I mean, dumping drawers and knocking over beds. You know, if there was something to skew with somebody's room, he would just ransack it <laughs> and look for clues or, or booty, you know? Look for paraphernalia. He got to mine, opened up that door, and there's shit everywhere. And he goes, who in the fuck's room is this? <laughs> and he looks at the name tag in the door, and he looks at me, and he kind of smiles. And he opens this. I shit you. This is how uh, clever. Uh, no wit. You know wit. I like. I, I appreciate wit when guys have wit. And this is how witty those dudes are. He opened up the first drawer, let it hit the floor, bam, and shit just freaking jumps out of it. And in that drawer, I had three seven six two rounds. You couldn't have ammo in the barracks. Oh, and I had two hundred dollars in cash. You couldn't have that amount of cash in the barracks either. And he picks up the money, and he picks up the bullets, and he walks over to me, and he looks at the money. He goes, is this a bribe for whoever finds these? <laughs> <laughs> and he drops them, and he fuck, just haymaker hay right to the bread basket. Wham! <laughs> I mean, hard. I double over. But that wall-to-wall counseling back then, I would much rather have that than for Article sure. 15. For sure. I mean, but my shit was wrapped so tight after that. I mean, I oh never ever ever <laughs> fucked up again. I mean, I thought I was squared away before that. Nope, I was I was on it like a bonnet. Mm. You know, I was I was talking about this the other day. Like the, it sounds like you're going through the same thing. One thing that was awesome for me when I joined the Navy is what I wanted to do. What I what I really just wanted to do was just like be a good seal. Yeah, and like whatever I could do to try and be a good seal. And when that's your goal. Man, it's like your whole life is pretty good because like well, you're trying to stay in shape, you're trying to get, have your gear ready, you're trying to be squared away, like that's what you're trying to be a good teammate, you're trying to volunteer for stuff. It's such a it's it it's you know when you hear there's a lot of the people running around now myself including included saying like hey, you got to have a mission, you got to be, you know, driving towards them. You got if meaning is found in responsibility, Jordan Peterson, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, for me it's like, oh, guess how lucky I was. I was a total knucklehead kid. And I, and I had an aim. My aim was this broad thing of like, hey, I'm gonna try and be a good seal. And right. Like, if that's what you're trying to do, man, it just, it puts you on a path. Right. You know, puts you on a good path. Yep. And it sounds like 
pretty similar for you yep. getting on a good path hey I want to be a good special forces soldier mm-hmm. and when you screw something up you tighten up even more yep and 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 <clears throat> you know and they were always giving me opportunity to improve myself and I never let one of those opportunities mm-hmm. pass I mean, do you want to go like combat dive school? It's like, hell yeah, that's another one I failed, by the way. How'd you fail at combat dive well, school? Well, here's the thing. I knew nothing about it. Nothing. No, I, I had no idea what that school. I thought I was going to like die for conch shells in Key West or something. No idea. None. No pre-scuba, which is a prerequisite. Okay. Just that, hey, Pat Mack, Private Mack, you're fit. Were you a water guy at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm strong in the water, and I was on a water team, a scout swim team. Okay. Uh, with in first in uh, first group, uh, so a lot of surface swimming. You know, yep. just dragging a ruck, surface swim. Um, <laughs> I went. <laughs> I went to combat dive school, and once again, you know. Everybody's screaming at you. You're PT until you're freaking. You, you, you know, I I got an umbilical hernia. We PT someone's got an umbilical hernia. But uh, water is the great equalizer. It is indeed. There is no doubt about it. And so when <coughs> when they started having us doing like the PT thing, I was like, all right, this sucks. This sucks. And then you know you have a couple classes, and then right to the pool, and everybody's screaming at you, and you're trying to get your gear in as fast as possible. And you know you got these twin eighties on your back, and the second stage is stuffed into your BC, and you're not breathing and stuff. It's just all weight, twenty pound weight belt. Um, mount the gunnel, prepare to enter the water, enter the water, and then terror. You know with the crossovers, so. <clears throat> the crossover thing to me blew my mind. Talk about, you know, uh, humility, how to make somebody humble, you know, how to suck the freaking life right out of you. Ex- how to explain crossover. So, so in this particular pool, you know, it was uh, what's a, what's an Olympic swimming pool? I the width 50 by 25. Yeah, it's pretty wide. It's pretty. It's, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's probably 50 by 25. Yeah, so it's like 25. And this pool was nice. It was 18 feet too deep. Mm-hmm. So you've got guys on each side of the gunnel, so uh, on each side of the pool. So and you're 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 uh, chest to back. You're just stacked up, and you got a mask on, and you got your buoyancy compensator. You got your twin eighties. You got a twenty pound weight belt. You got air in those tanks. You're just not breathing it. That regulator stuffed in your BC. Uh, the instructor yell out, prepare to cross over, cross over. So one, you, both sides go underwater, and the objective is to make it to the other side. One side goes shallow, one side goes deep. And you come up, and you get a few puffs before they say, prepare to cross over, cross over. It ain't enough time, especially if you had no pre-scuba. You, had, you haven't experienced this. Uh, and then you do it again and again. And again, and people start dropping like flies. And what the uh, when rules, they're dropping, is it quitting? Yeah, sometimes with me, for example, it wasn't necessarily. I didn't say I quit. I refused to get off the wall mm-hmm. because it was a shock. Because I already had a shallow water blackout. Mm-hmm. So I already had a shallow water blackout. They and with the shallow water blackout, it's basically once again the human body is cool because it won't let you drown unless you want to drown unless you. Inhale water. You're you're gonna pass out before that happens. So when you hold your breath long enough, you just pass out. 
And they're schooled at this shit. They know because it happens to people all the time. So they go down, they freaking bring you up. And usually as soon as you come back up and they slap you on the surface, you're you're revived. You're coming out of it. And then, then it takes you a while. You know, you're like, holy shit, that was scary. And then they ask you, once you're revived, they give you some oxygen. Do you want to get back in the water? The answer for me was, yes, I do. And then I had another one. And the next day during crossovers, uh, it was I had that other one. They said, do you want to get back in the water? Yes, I do. Another crossover, and I couldn't get off the wall. And the rule was, they tell you three times and you're out. Get off the wall, mister. And they're, they're, they want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. They want it. They want you to. They're like, I'm telling you, that's the first one. I'm going to give you another one. Mister, get off my wall. It's not get off my wall, get off my wall, get off my wall. You know they want they want you to want this. Yeah, they because want you're you a, you're a you're a fellow SF right, guy. Right, right. Yeah, they want you to want this. So, and super super um, professional cadre. Uh, so they gave me the third one, and it didn't happen. I was froze. Up. I was stuck to it. But that's another one that I avenged. I went back. I got pre scuba, and I went. I, I fucking killed that school. Not only did I kill it, but I was volunteering for shit. For instance, I had a buddy who uh, during ship bottom search. Um, so you, 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 that was that's some scary shit, you know, ship bottom search, because your back is on the freaking deck, man. You you feel your your twin eighties in the in the muck mm-hmm. in the, and and uh, and your your. Uh, basically wanding with your hand the bottom of this boat, <clears throat> this ship. And you could feel that ship rising and sinking just a little bit, just a little bit, just those couple inches. But what happened to my a buddy of mine is there was a type of cylinderate, a uh, type of jellyfish that was on the ship itself. And when he was washing, basically washing the ship, they went down his blouse into his shorts and he got a freaking, he got like stung by jellyfish all the way from his chest all the way his ball sack. So uh, it was medical emergency up on shore. This is a funny thing. Uh, when we got him on shore, he's going, he's burning up. You know, it's jellyfish. And so here's a grown man. And this is one time where you don't question this shit, where a grown man is ripping his clothes open. He's going, piss on my face, piss on my face, <laughs> piss on my dick. Piss. And we're all trying, you know, we, we're all shrunk up because we're frozen and we got our dicks in our hands and we're like five dudes pissing on one guy. You know, he's pissing on him. Well, he had a really bad reaction and he started throwing up uh, and he failed the next day's um, uh, subsurface swim, 1500 subsurface swim um but he get to make it up on a saturday and we had that saturday off uh and they asked for volunteers somebody got to be a swim buddy <laughs> somebody got to be a swim buddy and i freaking volunteered and this guy was bad he was way more badass than i was so i was a little <laughs> nervous because i didn't want to slow him down and uh we we mounted the gut and went in boom he or you know got the surface got his bearings he gave me a freaking uh you know, the go down signal. And uh, we start finning, and I am struggling to keep up with him. And I'm on his tether. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, he can't, fe- I can't, I have to keep up with this dude. And he is an absolute cyborg. And that was the hardest I ever worked in my life because now I'm, not, I'm working for me, I'm working for somebody else, and I can't let this yeah. dude down. You know, it's like, oh my God. But he crushed it. He crushed it. Yeah. What was the time space between you failing dive school and then going back and One crushing year. it? Yeah. Okay, so this, so this is like oh nine, no 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 six months that was six okay. months yeah six months uh, one year was for selection. Were you guys were you guys uh, 
Were you guys going on deployments at this time? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And where were you guys deploying to? For us in first group, it was Southeast Asia, Thailand, mm. Malaysia, those kind of things. Yep. And it's Cold War. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Cold War, FID stuff, peacetime army. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you, did you have to learn a language at this point? Yeah, I was pretty good at Thai. I didn't do – it was a condensed course, like a three-monther. Got it. You know, so you learn all the survival skills and all that. But, yeah. And then, then where did you go when you – how long did you stay there for? How long did you stay at first group? Well, uh, it, like three and a half years. And then I got recruited um, by some dude. Uh, I got re- <laughs> uh, He had a list of 10, of, 10, 10 names on this, on this uh, sheet in this folder. And company sergeant majors told us we had to go to this meeting. And he's some dude. He's in civilian clothes and he's got long hair. Uh, and he's <clears throat> the, the, it's so vague what he's explaining to us. He goes, yeah, it's a Cold War job and it's in uh, Europe. It's it, I've kind of felt like Will Smith on Men in Black when he's going, <laughs> now what are we doing here again? Well, we're looking for the best or the best or the best. You know, that kind of shit. I had no idea. But I knew it was something bigger than what I was doing currently. So once again, opportunity knocked. I freaking jumped on that shit, man. And what we were doing with that is uh, we were uh, like – uh, building networks for double mm-hmm. agents working uh, in in Berlin. Um, so before that, I went and got German language as well. Got it. But that was a cool job because it was some real cloak and dagger shit, you yeah. know. There's some books written about it now that are pretty cool. Did you go over there like undercover? No, that one, no. Okay. There was different times when I did. We had like, th- it was soft cover and you had to have, for that one, you have to have cover for action, cover for status. You know, why are you here in yeah. this country besides, you know, I'm just some military nug. Right. Because we had, you know, tracksuits, leather jackets, mullets, you know, <laughs> you know, all that freaking looking like Eastern Euro trash. <laughs> um, Body odor, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. How was, long, that was how cool long did you do that gig for? I did that for about a year and a half, and then I I got recruited by some other dude. He came and he was looking. He had a, one name on his list, and it was mine. Well, because I had uh, there was certain things they were looking for. It was a very uh, the skill set was very um, particular. You had to be good at the language. You had to be good at, like, driving. And uh, uh, there was certain different motor skills, you know, all these tests. Anyway, I met the quota. I met the data that he was looking for. <clears throat> and now this guy's in uniform, but he's an SF guy. And um, I, I said, there's another SF job here? He goes, yeah, man. He goes, we're spying on the Soviet Army in Soviet East Germany. I said, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I said, I never heard of this. He says, no, there's only seven slots, seven SF slots, seven. So I jumped on that one. So that was more schools. I had to go to Whippet, Warsaw Pack ID school in England, more driving schools, uh, get my language. uh, Because now I'm working in East Germany. Their second language ain't English. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, uh, and I did that for about two years. That was cool as so, shit. And bro. once again, you're going over there as an army dude. On this one, I was over as an army dude. The cover for action, cover for status on that one is a, we were liaison to the Soviet Army. They all knew what the hell we yeah. were doing. The, it was paper thin, man. The cover <laughs> was paper thin, and it was all <clears throat> cat and mouse. They knew it. They issued us. And they're doing it back to us, obviously. They were doing yeah. it back to us in West Germany. 
we were way more aggressive. I, I think at the time, 95% of the intelligence on the Soviet army was coming from those units. So in East Germany, the U.S. was doing it, the French and the Brits. And we would all rotate sectors. And it was scary. It was a scary gig because um, they res- the Soviets reserved the, the right to, to kill you. <laughs> Uh, they issued you maps, and on these maps they had these yellow mark, yellow uh, areas, and they were called PRAs, permanently restricted areas, and you couldn't go in this, those areas. Well, that's where all the good shit was, you know, all the friggin' KGB comms and all the nuke stuff. So we'd probe those things, um, and it, it, oh man, it was it was so the the cover was paper thin. How we were doing stuff was, you know. The, you had you were going over with two guys. One of the guys was an SF dude. Mm-hmm. The other was a uh, an officer who was a so a Russian FAO or something like that or a intel weenie. Mm-hmm. No, no tactical skills right. whatsoever. I mean, I remember sitting down. When and you go, say you'd go over, would that mean we, you'd go from from West, West Berlin, Berlin to into East, East Berlin. Germany, into East Germany? Okay, uh, across the Glienicke Brücke. And we had a Soviet credentials, uh, and and we would go to the uh, like the consulate or what what was it? something like that, and deliver mail. So that was how we got in, and we did it all the time. It was mm-hmm. you know Standard. several times a week, yeah. yeah. And then when as soon as you cross the bridge and you deliver your mail, you were you stayed in country now for about three days, mm-hmm. and you did your mission, and you had uh, you know a, a list of. Uh, Tasks. Objectives. Yeah, you right. had you had your essential task lists, uh, and and your what would be what would be like a task that you begin? Oh, one of them would be um, there is because satellite footage still existed. Mm-hmm. So what's going on in Cottbus? There's a big military exercise. What we need is um, just pictures of the vehicles yep. and unit affiliation. See who is there. Unit affiliation, because satellites can't get unit affiliation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we could get up close and take all the pictures of all the vehicles in the VINs uh, and get unit affiliation. Another one might have been r- railways were a big one, railways. You know, what's coming in from the Czech side, Polish side? Wh- what is coming into Falkenberg, into the r- train station? And it, all that shit was tarped, but we we were experts in tarpology, too. We could read the piece of equi- equipment under a tarp. Even a variant, bro. I'm talking like uh, beater uh, 80 PB to a reg- to a beater 70. You know, yeah. We even know the variants under tarp. It was it was it was good shit. That that was a fun ass freaking job. Scary as hell. Scary as hell because we were so paper thin. It, 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 oh, here's the other job we had. Because I, I imagine you, I mean, you're carrying a camera with you. Or you yeah, like, no, dude. Are you carrying so like a straight up telephoto no, cameras? No, or are you no, carrying yeah, like little yeah. clandestine cameras? No, no, no. We're traveling in a. Mercedes Galindewagen, because we're not undercover traveling, because we're a liaison to Soviet right, Army. Right. So we're in an OD green uh, Mercedes Galindewagen, so right. like a Mercedes Jeep, and it's souped up, man. It's got it was very very high speed shit in a low speed world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we had a dashboard with uh, toggle switches where you could control. Uh, for instance, as soon as you went over the bridge, it was an SOP. Turn off switch number one because that. Killed the horn because you don't want to have a horn AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was like a one switch where you, uh, another one you turn off the um, the brake lights. No, the um, the license plate illuminator. Okay, yep. But you had a brake light dis- disabler. You had even disable one side 
So from a distance, you look like a motorcycle. You know, all that stuff. Uh, and then, so it was a two-seater, and the back was a big sheet of ethyfoam with holes cut. And each hole filled a Nikon lens. And each lens was attached to an F1 body, bro. Yep. Every freaking one of them. Yep, so you just reached back, boom, 500 mirror. Yep, you just went to town. And then we, we had uh, uh, video cameras mounted uh like basically where the visors are mm-hmm. with the uh, remote on the dash. So pretty, it was a high speed shit in a low speed world. For sure. Yeah, it was fun yeah, as you hell, man. Pumped. Oh, when, especially if you got a big hit because it was competition with the other mm-hmm. tour guides. We were called tour, tour guides. Um, so, you know, who could get the biggest hit? Like I got, I got a uh, SA24 nuke. Dang. Yep, SA24 nuke in the town was called <laughs> Beateritz. Um, and we heard that it might be coming in and, um, you know, so we, we hung out and I was, oh, I was with a squared away officer at the time too. He was, um, he had been to Ranger school. He wasn't a Ranger, but he'd been to Ranger school and he was, he got a scholarship, uh, West Point scholarship for football. So he's a fit dude too. Mm -hmm. So I was with this dude. So I was, I was fired up man, and we were going after this, uh, uh, SA 24 and, um, we ended up. It, it's a it's a long story. I'm just going to cut it short. We were hiding behind a hay bale. The landowner came out. He smashes the front of our vehicle um, he, because we're not we're trespassing. We explain this is common. You're you're communist, bro. You don't own this shit. This is Soviet land. But uh, uh, he gets he he apologizes. Invites us to his house. His house is right on the tracks. We park the vehicle in the backyard, orient the cameras, check out the orientation and everything, have a camera with us at the ready, because they don't know what we're doing. We're just fucking off in his field, you know, as Americans. They serve us tea and coffee, train comes, we get the whole video footage, we get all the stills, we get all the freaking numbers on it, and we're (laughs) sitting in this dude's backyard. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was a big, that was a big hit, but... Yeah, that was a fun job because I got chased by all kind of shit, like T-80, SS, uh, SS-21. Oh, man. And the thing about Soviet kids is there's so much of it. It's so big, you know. I mean, it's massive. Like um, there was this one called um, Platoon Triple Star P, Platoon Triple Stripe 3, PTF. PTF, yeah. It's like a uh, – it's a tracked pontoon. Mm-hmm. That takes tanks across the rivers. Got it. You know, it's just it's massive. It's like the brontosaurus of the <laughs> of the kit world. We have nothing that big, you know, and that moves that fast. And then their BMP ones are like the velociraptors of the kit world. You know, they're just. I mean, it's not. It's all in a horrible state of repair. Yeah. But yeah. if you got a shitload of it, <laughs> something's gonna work. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's cool that you were doing real stuff yeah, yeah, in yeah. the 80s because yeah, yeah. most of the guys right. at that time weren't doing anything. Yep. Yeah, I was – you know what? I was so fortunate. I never – one of the things I'm, I'm careful is I always <laughs> – I always uh, make sure I tell people that I was very fortunate, that I was very lucky, that I had the best mentors, and I never, ever rest on my laurels, you know? I never go, well, fuck, back then I was a badass. Yeah, I'm a badass tomorrow. I don't need to rest on my laurels because I hate those guys. Yeah. You know, this is what I did yesterday. And and I don't reflect a, upon it a lot, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, – it, I had an – it was an interesting career. 
Yeah, yeah and uh, like as I read some of the stuff that you've done, I kind of pieced together not just what's like out there, but you know, I kind of pieced together what I know about, you know, so I have a little bit more in depth. I can fill in some holes. Yep. And that's what got me thinking about, you know, when I was open up talking about like soldier skills. Oh, right. I just think about all the different things yeah. that you did and how v- uh, the variety in right. your career. And I know, like, when you were, I mean, I know you went to some kind of camera school and you went yep. to some identification, in field developing, yes. like, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he did all that. And then he did scuba. And then he did, you know, like, everything that you've done. That's why I was asking about languages. Like, that now you got Thai, you got, yep. you got, like, you know, it's skills. Yeah. And, and there's ton- and I'm scratching the surface. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was exactly. so lucky. You know, I was, I was uh, because it's, it's not that I'm, I was, you know, I'm not like some stellar super soldier. Um, I was very lucky, and I always made sure that when opportunity knocked, that I'd answer the door. Uh, and that, man, that paid off big time. Mm-hmm. And then if I failed something, I wouldn't say, ah, fuck it, man, that ain't for me. I'm like, nope, I got to avenge that shit because <laughs> I won't be defeated. Mm-hmm. That defeated me? No, there's no way. I'm going back and kicking that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. So what was next? What's the, what was next so after the all next the Europeans? I was there through reunification. Uh, that had to be crazy. Yeah, that was man. cool. That was cool shit. Uh, so I was there through reunification. So you know, the wall came down eighty nine, reunification ninety one. Yeah. So I was there during that whole thing. But now my job is drying up, yeah. and I'm having to train um, the uh, Bundesnachrichtdienst. It's like the German FBI. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I got that right. It's been a long time since I accessed that database. <laughs> but um, so I have to train them, and uh, you know we're handing over that job because they just have to see the withdrawal now and all that. And I don't want any part of that. So the next step was go to, you know, try to get my foot in the door and use the sock. Mm-hmm. And so I went. I I got a slot to go to selection. Mm-hmm. Day freaking one. I break my ankle. How'd you break your ankle? So on the on the first Damn. day, there's a um, so no more yelling and screaming. Yeah, there's no more of that. You know, you're just taking instructions from the chalkboard, and you're making sure you're not late, late out of uniform, <laughs> and you're getting food too. It's just now it's just, it's all big boy rules. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a totally different game. It's a totally different test. Totally, too. completely different. You know, because it, it, it tests resolve and whether or not you have heart and. If, if you're capable of deductive reasoning and if you are um, resolute and if you have um, if, um, uh, yeah besides deductive deductive reason there's another t- term I'll think of it here in a second but um so day one there's a I, I won't disclose too much of it just because I don't want to r- ruin it for people who may go in the mm-hmm. future but there's a physical movement you know it's a movement and it's at night mm-hmm. uh, with a ruck on it's nothing hard and I think it's there kind of as a uh, like a litmus test you know maybe to a little shake out patrol yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah and you're on your own you're doing this thing on your own but it's at night now you're not you know you're on dirt roads because you don't know it they haven't given you any training yet so you're on dirt roads and there's people periodically to guide you along the way and you have even have a flashlight. So it's nothing, you know, it's nothing crazy. It is just there to trim the fat and it does a good job at it because it'll tell whether or not you're there for the right reasons. That'll that'll tell the cadre. But um coming down a hill and whenever you have the opportunity, you, you know, you double time downhills just to make up time and I roll an ankle and I roll it so bad that I hear a crack. <clears throat> and I knew it was the ankle, you know, the the sprain cracking. But I felt bone in my shin, too. 
Um, and man, you know, it's the worst feeling. You know, when for those of us who have had sprain, it's a it's a horrible feeling. And a sprain is worse than a break. I swear to God, it's worse than well, a break. It, man, there's no I've doubt done, about it. I've done so many of them. Uh, I've 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 torn so much shit in my body that uh, man, I'd rather be broken than torn. <laughs> well, the, the, the big difference is when you break a bone. You put it, you you put it back together. You put a cast on it. Right. It heals up. It's actually stronger Better. than it was. Right. You tear a ligament. Yep. That thing is never the same. Never. Yep. If it even heals. Yep. So you hammer the shit out of your ankle. Yeah. I and I make it through this first movement, and I think just, I just make the time. I don't know what the time is, uh, and then I end up walking on it for another week and a half. I'm going over these mountains in West Virginia. Uh, but there came a point where I where I say, you know what, this is a big boys game, and they know I'm hurt because I went to see a doc the next day, and my ankles, you know, like a football, and they gave me some whatever, mm-hmm. some Ranger candy, some Cama, <laughs> buffered aspirin, or something like that, um, and they gave me an Ace wrap. Uh, that's it. But they knew I'm jacked up, and I thought, you know what, these guys, they they're gonna think I'm retarded. They're gonna think I'm stupid. That I'm, you know, that I'm. So uh, I I made it I made it I wasn't I was making no ground I was getting weaker by the day, so I sat by a dirt road waited for a cadre car to come and I said hey I, I am I am voluntary volu- I am withdrawing voluntarily. Mm-hmm. It was a hard pill to swallow, but the thing is I, I had to do that. Uh, and the guy said hey as long as you're not cheating yourself, I said nope, I am not. And they invited me to come back. Well, because they knew that I was jacked up. Yep. If I volunteer, if I wasn't jacked up, there was no way. You quit something like that, there was no way. But they knew that I was jacked up because I went, I actually went and saw the, the doc and I said, hey, can you give me something for this? And he was like, what? What Bro. if you? What if you just don't make the times? Would they have said, all right, you failed, you're out? Well, I, which I, one of those two is? Uh, I didn't get to that point yet. I didn't get to the stress phase of this mm-hmm. course. You know, so... It was just all the training, the train, uh, the, um, uh, I forget what it's called, but like the, the train, yeah, the training phase, it was okay. the training phase. It wasn't the graded portion yet. So there was no, there was no maximum time. Right. You could have taken whatever, yep. hours but I, and hours But I hours. felt that I was getting weaker and weaker and weaker every day. Um, so yeah, they invited me to come back and I, that, I took a, every bit of a year. What I did too is I, I made a huge gamble. I was in Germany and I volunteered to go to Swick Special Warfare Center mm-hmm. to be an instructor. Mm-hmm. Four year commitment. I volunteered to go to that, to get me to, to Fort Bragg, to get me closer. Uh-huh. And did you also figure like if I'm there and I'm all I'm doing is teaching, I can get in good shape, right? Recovering exactly. all that. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> but if if I didn't make selection, I would have been stuck in Swick for four years mm. too. So I knew it was a gamble, but I said it's going to get me there, and it's going to get me strong. I'm not going to have to go anywhere. I'm not going to, you know, like, yeah. It's 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 very light duty, and I worked out like a man possessed. I took it. I had a new. Um, uh, Kind of a, a, a perspective and um, a new strategy with the training. <clears throat> I, I went very low impact, so I did a lot of bicycling, like in the in the tiny sprocket, a lot mm-hmm. of stair climbing, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of uh, like forty repetition squats, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Because I already worried, had a taste of it. Now, were you, know? you worried about like being able to hump though? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did that. I, okay. I humped, but I didn't do a lot of it. I didn't do a lot of 
breakdown. What I did is I found a um, – there was this massive helo pad on Fort Bragg right by where I was working. So it's an elevated chunk of ground, and it's elevated, you know, on all sides at an angle. And um, I would do laps around that mm-hmm. because now I'm walking on a – on a traverse, oh, yeah. on an angle. So I got all that friction, you know, and working my angles, and I would do lap. And it was probably 400 yards around. And I would, every day I'd go over there, and I would do lap after lap after lap, turn around lap after lap after lap after lap, and turn around do the same thing until my feet burnt because I wanted strong ankles, and I wanted uh, tough, 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 tough feet because I already had some blisters when I went the first time. That second time, I didn't have a fucking blister. I had a hot spot on the last exercise. I had one hot spot. <laughs> yeah, bro, I crushed it. I crushed it the next time. Man. I mean, I, I destroyed it. I mean, I had some bad days, but when I went back, man, I, I freaking, I really, I tore into it. So, what year is it, what year is this now that you you go back and you make 91, it through? Ninety one, ninety two. When I went back through, yep, ninety two. So, so I'm thinking Gulf War. Yeah, the Gulf War just finished. I was still doing uh, the Soviet stuff when people were doing the Gulf War. Uh Was that driving you crazy? Nah, because I was doing stuff. Yeah, Yeah, I was working, you know, and yeah. Nah, I was happy. I was in boot camp there, or no, I was just after boot camp during the first Gulf War. Yep. And I remember watching the news and they said they were expecting U.S. 40,000 casualties in the first 48 hours or something like that. And I was like, oh, it's so hard. It's so on. It's going to be so on. I'm going to get fast-tracked. They're going to put me as a freaking door gunner like a knob. (laughs) (laughs) Door gunner. Yeah. I don't think they're going to need people to replace, man. That's what's going to happen. So you get done. And and so now you're uh, you're there, and everything's kind of leveled up. You're training freaking just like all the time. Yeah, well, you know, uh, after selection, I had to go through six months of OTC. And you're on the bubble during that time. I mean, that's six months, and there's no break in that six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you're on the freaking bubble, bro. Man, I love that the way they reserve the right to fire your stinking ass at any freaking second for anything. And that that went my whole I – was, I was at the unit for 13 years, and, I mean, there were stellar dudes, you know, 10 years in who – that little mistake, boom. Mm-hmm. But but you want to work in a place like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to. You want to be a part of that where, dude. And I remember there were guys who were great dudes who would have, like, I, I had this one friend who had an ND. Oof. He was by himself. And he went and turned himself in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. And man. was that it? He's gone? Yeah, but with NDs, uh, there were certain things that you were uh, – they'd send you packing for a year, and you were you were able to get a relook. Certain What's things. What's an ND? Uh, 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 negligent discharge. discharge. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Oops. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they uh, they didn't happen often, but w- when you're constantly around guns, you're constantly doing shit. All you need is a momentary lapse of reason, and that's it. We are human beings. We are capable of momentary lapse of reason. And they they happened to the best dudes I knew, man. The best dudes I knew. So U A D yeah. N D same thing. Yes, yeah. Same yeah. Thing. They just okay. changed gotcha. the verbiage sure. like uh, sure. I don't know a decade and a half ago. Gotcha. So there are no accidents. It's negligent. I don't know. There's oh, something. There's that's something where it came I, from. I never, yeah. wondered, I never thought. I never thought about right. that fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> I, I I've been on the range enough where I've seen. 
where I know that shit actually does happen. I mean, I've got some great stories that are actual ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like uh, rounds oh, cooking off. Not or like a um, a guy dropping his backpack, and he's got like an ALS holster on. Key, car key goes into the holster and fulcrums up. Boom! As he's dropping his backpack, boogers. You know, shit like that. I've yeah. seen a bunch of things like that. I've seen guys with, uh, like, in the summertime out in the desert. Oh, cook they're, off. They're, yeah, and, yeah. and they're like, like I remember we were new guys, and one of the guys with me, he's shooting, and all of a sudden, you know, he's kind of, uh, we're done, we're kind of debriefing, all of a sudden, crack! Ooh. And he he literally just held up his weapon. You know, he's like, I, I didn't touch anything, I didn't touch unsafe. Like, <laughs> it's unsafe. He's yeah. like, there was, a, there was another funny story. Jason Gardner told me this story. They're debriefing. And this guy, they're sitting there debriefing, they're doing Kill House stuff, they're debriefing, and all of a sudden, like, the junior officer cracks off around at the feet of, like, the debrief group. <laughs> and he said, he, like, looked at the gun, and he looks at the group, and he goes, he was decocking it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Meaning he had, like, an out-of-body right. experience he, and yes. explained himself in the right. third person, <laughs> making an excuse for himself. It's, like, the funniest <laughs> thing, oh, man. Dude, I gotta have Jason Gardner, because... My buddy Jason, who's Master Chief, and he's been on the podcast a couple times, but he, he, he always tells everything in like a monotone voice. So, you know, he goes, yeah. So he cracks off around right at the feet of our of our group, and then he shakingly looks at everyone and says, he was decocking it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my God. Kill me. So, oh my God. <clears throat> so as you're doing this, what other, what other skills – are you now picking up? I mean, Dude, you are. Man. It's the nineties. Yeah, I got to think You're about this. You're at a place where there's, there's money, right. And there's time. Yep. yep. And there's a mission. Yep. L- let me think about it. First up, more driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been through seven driving courses. Mm-hmm. One of them was the Gary Simic Motocross School. <laughs> well, we had dirt bikes, yep. you know, and it, and 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 uh, it's a great mobility device, but you need training on yep. that thing. So when I was a team sergeant. On a mobility team, I said, I want the best training. I want a motocross, you know, <laughs> supercross school. Mm. But uh, so driving training, um, <clears throat> I mean, m- m- more water stuff, mm. water, water. So riverine stuff. Uh, uh, oh, wait, you know what was cool? I, I just thought about that. The, uh, the dunk training, like up in Groton, oh, yeah. Groton thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I did that. Uh, but schools, let me think the here. The Hilo um, dunker. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh my God! There's so freaking much of it. Oh, uh, so the demo was the big thing with the mm-hmm. unit, you know. Demo, but special specializing in that. Breach. I mean, were you were really, you like a breacher? Yeah, but everybody is a breacher at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're an operator, you're all you're a breacher at some point. You know, you you, you, you come onto a team as an assistant, and then you work up to a breacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the amount of weapons too. You know, so not just crew serve stuff, but like and a tank and. You know, it's like, holy crap, because there's always something new emerging. You can't just lug around a goose off, you know, (laughs) all the time, because more stuff is emerging. Uh, What other kind of trick? It just went on and on and on and on. I mean, it never, the wheels on the bus went round and freaking round. And the amount of helo stuff that we did, you know, and uh, and, um, a lot of different, Environmental training. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, when we did winter training, it was hardcore winter training. When we did desert training, hardcore desert. We did mountains, you know, all that stuff. And then, uh, so a lot of environmental stuff. But I can't, I mean, it, yeah. 
I wish I, I wish I was tasked with a homework assignment prior yes, to, sir. so I could have written those things down. Because it, but it's cool because it's cool because I I forget about how much shit mm-hmm. that I've learned. Mm-hmm. The amount of shit that I've forgotten could probably you know fill volumes. <laughs> but every once in a while, I'll go, oh, yeah. Like, w- Rebecca and I will watch a TV show. I go, oh, yeah, I've done that. She goes, yeah. no, you haven't. I go, yeah, I have. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, I, trust me, I've done that. Yeah. And you're shooting um, just ins- all the time. insane. Yep, yep, all the time. And then not only that, but uh, what was cool is uh, we were encouraged to uh, compete, you know, on a national mm-hmm. level with the shooting stuff. So and I'm not just talking action shooting like Ipsic, but I also did national match. You know, like bullseye stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, I competed in the All Army Small Arms Championship too in 2004, right before I retired. So I was at E9, and the unit sent me down there as a like a recruiting trip. Um, and best competition I ever went to. <clears throat> now they did preface it with, "Hey, you know, you got to win this thing." Too. <laughs> now, no freaking, I tell you, that was not easy. T- I did. But it wasn't an easy task because you got like 250 competitors yeah. and you got these, uh, the AMU, the Army Marksmanship Unit say, guys. The, the Army got, Marksmanship uh, guys yeah. who do that. Right. That's, that's what they do their for a living. Job. You got um, Ranger snipers, 82nd snipers. Because when you show up to that type of competition, <laughs> you all look the same. Everybody's same haircut, same uniform, same M16A2 iron sights, same Damn. sidearm, same ammo. Damn. Yeah, same ammo. That's Everything's legit. the same. It's like stock yeah, car right. racing. Exactly. <laughs> Bingo. Just like that. So no mechanical advantage with anything. Nothing. Um, and then you start this week-long competition. You know, in the first several days, it's all national match. Rifle at 500 yards, iron sights. Uh, granted, you're shooting, you know, 77 grain Sierra match, Black Hills. You're shooting good ammo. <laughs> So you're, you know, you're really, a, you're able to group with these, with these, with these rifles. Um, but I, after the rifle portion, I was sitting good. I was, you know, like out of 250 people, I was probably like 225. But when the pistol portion came up, I crushed everybody. So it was, because thankfully it was a combined aggregate. So I was able to, yeah, I was able to, whew, whew, I did not want to go back to you and say, yeah, I came in third or something like that you know i've got beat by a e4 from division <laughs> where were you when uh, september 11th kicked off so i was at that time i was a otc instructor so operator trainer course instructor i was on the range teaching uh our otc students cqb <clears throat> one guy had a piece of equipment go down i said i'll go get it i'll go get it for you just give me that and i'll go dx it for you so I drive back down to the uh, main buildings, <clears throat> go in, and uh, the, uh, the S4, the guy from mm-hmm. Supply, is watching the TV, and one of the planes had already hit. Mm-hmm. And I said, what happened there? He goes, ah, oh, some plane hit one of the trade, one of the wor- World Trade Center towers. And I go, oh, t- huh, was it an accident? He goes, ah, oh, it looks like it to me. Because at the time, that's For what sure. it was. And plus, people, they, you couldn't grasp the gravity of how big those buildings are. You know, they thought it was a Cessna. I I completely thought it was a Cessna. Yeah, yeah. That's what everybody thought. Those buildings are gigantic. So we're both watching it, and then I saw live the second one go in. And we both just, dude, when you you watch that shit happen, I didn't see it on the news as a repeat. I watched it live, and I heard the news, the uh, the announcer go, oh, 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 boy, oh, boy, oh, oh. All right, nope, this is no accident. You know, and I went, holy fuck. So I got this piece of kit, boogie down uh, range, and uh, we did an admin halt, brought everybody back uh, into the chow hall, 
big TVs on so they get kind of a update and then brought them back to the mm-hmm. shoot house to run CQB. Yeah. How long did it take from there before before you got over to uh, Iraq? It took me. It, it oh, man, I was you so were a, bummed out, bro. Yeah, because you were an instructor. I was an instructor. Not only that, but <clears throat> they asked me to do another six months on top of my two year stay because there was a course that they were putting together for somebody else, mm-hmm. and they wanted me to build this course. And I'm going, oh my god, squadrons are already on their second deployment, yeah. bro. And this is the crazy thing. <laughs> Second or third thing. deployment. So it, it's funny because when I get over there, um, I I remember the, fir- the first night I'm with this dude I put through selection and OTC. He's a staff sergeant. And I'm an E9. And he goes, oh, Mac, it's so cool that I'm doing hits with you here. I said, yeah, bro, and tonight you're in charge of me. Mm-hmm. He goes, huh? I said, how many hits you got in country? He goes, uh, 125. <laughs> I said, well, I got zero, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goose egg. Yeah. So when you went over, you went over, you were telling me earlier, like you went over as like a an ops position or something? Yeah, initially I went over as a, uh, in, an, in an ops position with the, with. and it, 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 it's a funny thing. Um, we didn't even touch on this one. I went over to um, work with the unit's uh, support, support squadrons. Mm-hmm. So I, I was working with all <clears throat> these, these guys with no training, and they're going outside of the green zone and all that to get resupply, to oh, get freaking, they're, going, they're making BIAP runs to get yep. diesel, you know. Going down route so, Irish. Yeah, bro, and soft skin Hummers, yeah. you know, because we no, nothing was up armored yet. Yep. And so I'm driving with them, scare, scariest I've ever been in my life. Going with cooks to get freaking food. I'm one man security detail. I got comms, AR, or M4, mags, and I'm I'm out there flapping. I'm one man security detail for dudes who have zero training. They got guns and stuff yeah. too, but I know they have that that <laughs> that stay scared the shit out of me. The amount of freaking rounds that the support guys were taking, and I'm going. Go, go, go. You know, because we mobility survivability. I'm like, dudes, first lesson it's hard to shoot a moving target. We're not these other, we're not driving 15 miles an hour. Fuck that. As fast as these vehicles could go. Change lanes under bridges, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. All that old school shit. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, that scared the hell out of me. Uh, and then I would do a couple hits with the, yeah. with the working squadron. Yeah. But when I got back, in between, between those, I built a course called uh, CSE, Combat Skills Course. Mm-hmm. It was a two-week course for the all-support element. Yeah. And it was – they loved it, bro. For sure they They freaking did. loved it. They were – because it starts with BRM, basic rifle marksmanship, you know, and then movement with a rifle. And then security positions, working barricades, driving, um, and then, um, you know, react to freaking IEDs, you know, uh, all this stuff. So uh, re- reaction to contact, move to, from, all that stuff. So we did all – just two weeks of nonstop balls-to-the-wall uh, basic training, mm-hmm. combat skills training. And the fulfillment I got out of that was ridiculous. I loved doing that so much. Um, it was – the job was hard. It freaking sucked. But, you know, these – Cooks and log guys, you know, mm-hmm. seeing them freaking uh, rip rounds and shoot AT4s and stuff. And then when I go back to Iraq, I'm walking around. We got a hit. It's kind of vanilla, but and the cool thing was too when when it, no matter how vanilla the freaking hit was, guys were treating it as if it were, you know, a, 
HVT, mm-hmm. you know, high value target. I was like, hell yeah. But um, there was a couple of vanilla hits where I'd go and get my cooks and say, hey, you guys want to come, come on out with hit? me? They were like, really? I said, yeah, man. <laughs> and I put them on, you know, security position with yeah, a yeah, with yeah. a with a saw or a or a Mag fifty eight. But dude, they're in fucking combat, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the cooks even got the freaking wow. Oh, let it rip. The, yeah, I got to let it rip. Yeah, I had uh, <laughs> I had my radio man, my radio man from my tactical operations center, right? And he was the guy that kind of ran things. And one night we were going on off. It was pretty pretty close to base, you know, kind of a no brainer. And I needed, but we had a bunch of people to coordinate with. And I said, hey, man, you, you know, you can you come out with me tonight? And, and you know, just man the radio. And he right. gets the big eyes. Because, <laughs> right. you know, hey, let's face it. I mean, even though I'm saying it's no big deal, man, there was guys getting wounded and oh, killed yeah. every single yeah, yeah, day. Yeah. So even though I thought it was no big deal, his eyes got real big. And he's like, he's like, yes, sir. And so we get out. And we did, by this point, this was 06. We had armored, armored Humvees. And we get on target. And I'm, you know, I'm out. We got multiple targets going down, and I'm the GFC, so I'm kind of conducting and seeing what's going on. And and I walk over, and he's in the Hummer. And I go over, and I kind of like crack the door open. I was like, "Hey, man, you want to come out?" And you know, like, you know, I'll show you what's up, what's going on. Right and on. he's like, "I'm good to go right here." <laughs> I was he, like, he didn't want those that. sights and sounds of the, the battle. Door. I was like, "Hey, it's all good, man. You just yeah. chill." But yeah. I mean, he was a great guy. He did all kinds of good work for me, yeah, but. Yeah. You know, we do that um, with the with the support people because it's they just they don't get good training, right? And and so they're normally not super comfortable yep. rolling out. I had a I had a CV too, who was this giant black dude, awesome guy named Biggie, Biggie. and uh, yeah, Biggie. He was he was awesome, but we took him on a couple where we had work to do. We had work for the CBs to do at some locations, and man, you know, seeing him, he talk about big. He turned from Big E just to Big Eyes, man. Right, big <laughs> he eyes, was awesome. Yeah. And one time we got hit, we got hit with uh, we got hit with mortars in the camp, and they blew up our big water tank. And so he was just you know he was a, a CB, which CBs are known for you know acquiring things. Mm-hmm. So he went out in the next few hours and acquired a brand new like giant water tank we're talking you know i don't know how many but as big as this room right. that we're sitting in, yeah a giant he brings back another one on a crane damn and he's peterson yeah, man, he's, from getting, the Green Berets he's getting it all filled up with water <laughs> and you know i said hey man hey i go hey chief that's awesome man really appreciate it uh, appreciate you know taking care of us. He goes, man, I'll do whatever I got to do to help you guys as long as there ain't no more boom boom in the camp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. By the way, no Biggie, boom, boom the I, I I saw Biggie warming up with three fifteen on bench, warming up Damn. for like ten reps. Yeah, that's legit. Biggie Eesh. wasn't playing around. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and so so the second time when you went back and you guys are doing these hits. So now, what year is that? 05? Yeah, 05. So things yeah, escalated right before a I retired, lot, right? Bro. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But things things escalated a lot between 04 and yes. 05. Yep, yep. I guess summer of 04 was starting to get gnarly. Right. 05, yep. and are you guys are you guys are going out hitting targets? Reload. I mean, yeah. Uh, a lot of times, like recock right there on the on the spot. Mm-hmm. So battlefield interrogation. All right, this guy knows so and so. Let's go freaking split the force and go check these dudes out and then bam 
police them up. A lot of a lot of cool like police work. Mm-hmm. You know, snatch and do. I I, I tell people um, like people who don't know. You know, when you're trained and when you live in that kind of unit, ki- killing a dude isn't very hard. Snatching up a dude requires requires a lot of freaking work, you know, especially with, like, let's say, plausible deniability or no trace, that kind of thing. So I love that kind of stuff. That was To me, that was that was a lot of fun. It was interesting, mm-hmm. you know, snatching dudes up out of their beds and crap like that. Um, but it was um, – the op tempo was, was – really high and what i appreciated was being basically like a cherry you know it, a, mm-hmm. i was a private e9 yeah and, oh, that's probably the only place in the in the world in the military where you, you have the opportunity to do mm-hmm. that be an e9 door kicker i mean i had the, this one night because it was like my third night going into um fallujah on my own little bird mm-hmm. and i was following in a team and uh, we we're you know landing rooftops, <clears throat> and the the third night in a row they had me on the planning board as task force man. <laughs> 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 uh, it was, was killing me. Well, you know what they were doing? They were they were giving me an opportunity to make up ground because mm-hmm. they had been getting some, and I'd been left freaking back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were like, "Yeah, we're gonna you know we're gonna we're gonna TF let yeah, we're, yeah, yeah coming yeah, in hot yeah 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 it was cool as shit." Uh, but seeing all. The level at which dudes operated, seeing that, because I was almost from like an outside perspective, you know, mm-hmm. looking around going, holy fuck, man, this is pro. This is badass. Well, I think the whole U.S. military, obviously, I mean, this goes without saying, but the, the just the, the experience. I yeah. mean, I always tell people they're always a little bit surprised, but. You know, I didn't shoot my weapon at the enemy for 13 years right, in, right. The, in the SEAL team. 13 years yeah. of, and I think I locked my locked and loaded my weapon prior to that like three times all on a stupid, like I was kind of fired up because we were doing security for something right, yeah, and yeah. I got to lock and load my weapon <laughs> right, and I was kind of pumped, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But then, but it wasn't until 13 years, but the amount of combat that, we have had now in oh, the yeah. US military repetition after repetition after repetition and one thing i noticed is like on my first deployment which was 03 we you know we were good at doing you know building takedowns and yep. we do room clearance and we we were we were good at it mm-hmm. by the time i went back in 06 Man, everybody was, everyone could, you know, right. everyone could just, there was no factor. It was like, hey, oh, you want to take down this building? Cool, we yep. got this. It was, it had brought everybody up to a much better level. Mm-hmm. And I always, I think about this now all the time, just the experience that we have now, you know, a mission that would have seemed like a huge deal mm-hmm. in 1996. Right. You wouldn't even, you nope. wouldn't even crack the bump on a Not radar of like, that was cool. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Yeah, not even close. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I mean, the, the amount of experience that we've gained, and 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 you know, even when I watch new platoons come in to relieve us, and like occasionally I'd be in that spot, like looking at my task unit, looking at one of my platoons moving down the street, mm-hmm. and you just see and you go, man, these guys are so good. I mean, everybody's moving. It's like weapons trained everywhere. Yep. It's so efficient then you see like a new troop coming in and you look at him and you go oh, they'll, they'll clean it up yeah, yeah, they'll yeah, clean yeah, it up because yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you can know. tell by, by his demeanor you know yeah. by his just the body language alone you know you, you, you just the silhouette you know who that guy is oh, just for by sure. the silhouette yeah for sure yeah. when you uh 
so now it's you do you knock out a couple deployments um what what makes you decide to get out what makes you decide to retire i had uh some of it was and i don't mind talking about this because it's good lesson learned shit a lot of it was because of domestic messiness mm. i had little kids at home and they had a uh they weren't being brought up right. I needed to be there for them. I had already lost. You, you start to think when you when you lose buddies that are close to you, you start to uh, you know reflect and you and you and you you start to be very objective and you exercise introspection and you go, dude, man, if that's me, <clears throat> I'm I don't really care. You know, I'm just some dude, but I'm gonna leave my kids dry because they don't have. The other, their other half sucks. Mm-hmm. You know, their their mom at the time uh, really sucked. So I got out because I had little kids and they needed, they needed me because they didn't have the other half of that. Mm-hmm. The other half sucked bad. And it was a, it was a, uh, because of um, the problem stemmed from, it's big pharma shit, you know, mm-hmm. uh, prescription meds. It's not a drug problem if it's, you know, prescription meds. Mm-hmm. That freaking big pharma, bro. They, that shit pisses me off. But So I watched the deterioration of a human being over, you know, a long time. Uh, big pharma. And she, and she freaking just sucked. So, but I had to, I had to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, initially I thought this is a great idea. But, man, it wasn't long before I ran into just a feeling horrible about myself and missing the hell out of it. What was the time span between you made the decision that you're going to retire and like when you retired? Uh, I made the decision the first time I uh, pushed to Iraq. I uh-huh. said, I, I'm at the, at the 22 year mark <clears throat> because I was E9. I needed to stay in grade for three years and complete the academy mm-hmm. to keep E9 on my retirement. retirement. ID card kind of thing. So I wanted to make sure that I retired with that stuff. So, yeah, I, I made that decision, got the academy right before I retired. I think I did the academy and retired two days later, something like that. <laughs> yeah. and, and then you retire. Did What was your plan when you retired? I had no plan. There you go. Zero. Check. <laughs> but um, I you got hired. Got job offers like. Yeah, I got hired prior to retiring. There you go. Couple months, so that becomes couple, the plan. Yep, and and the thing is, that's low hanging fruit. I don't recommend that to people. Mm-hmm. That low hanging fruit shit, man. You know, working for the man. Fuck that. And but, this is but 05, I, but, 05, yep, 05. 05. So contracting is still. Oh yeah, uh, good money. Yep. Yep. This was before the market. I did not was want to return to another shithole. Yep. The reason I got out was to be there for my kids. So I didn't want to, you know make a shit ton of money and deploy again for right, right. freaking 90 days uh, without the big green machine at my six. For sure. Because uh, now I lost some buddies doing contracting stuff too. Uh, and it was just killing me, bro. It was killing me. Oh, my God. So, so what was the job that you got? So what did you start was, doing? You it was out? basically um, doing what I'm doing now-ish, mm-hmm. but for a corporation. Got it. I was doing the instruction thing, and I was building um, – this uh, unit called the AWG, mm-hmm. Asymmetric Warfare Group. Yep. Yep, I was building them. You sent some people over to me in Ramadi. 
Yeah, I was, I was training them up, up and right. I was tra- the other thing I was doing was um, I built a course called Cat C Combat Application Training Course, and we were training Big Army. Um, I recruited a couple other guys, a couple guys like me, retired mm-hmm. uh, unit guys, and uh, we were training Big Army, a five day course, and. I loved when we first started it. We were doing f- training first brigade, eighty second airborne division, or fourth brigade, fourth brigade, fourth brigade. We stood up for a little while, and I, I loved that these guys were so badass. Mm-hmm. You know that there were e fours with two deployments for sure, and with combat wounds. Yeah. And stuff By like the that. way, two deployments that were thirteen right, months. Thirteen each. months. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they were so badass, and their soldier skills were, you know. So far surpassed than what I had seen in like the 90s For or something. Sure. Uh, so that was once again very fulfilling, you know, running these guys hard, getting them really good training, and making them focus on the fundamental, fundamentals, fundamentals, being expert at the basics. You know, that was, that still is my thing. But that was our thing when we were training uh, the Cat C program expert on the basics and fundamentals. Um, so that was fun. I, I did that for a few years, and then I got um, I got laid off. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? You don't know it. You have no when you're a career military guy, yeah. and then you're working for you know a co- company that does government contracting shit and is all retired military. You're not even thinking job security. That's not even that's not a, a part of your thought process. You don't go to bed at night and say, "Oh, I hope I don't get fired tomorrow." You, you don't think that. You don't think it. So laid off things, and I didn't even see the writing on the wall because I'm dumb mm-hmm. about corporate America. I don't know any of that <laughs> stuff. Um, so the company got bought out, and they started uh, to, um, you know, cut corners, trim the fat, p- pinch pennies, all that stuff. And I was thinking, oh yeah, we got to do it. You know, got to cut those corners, got to pinch those pennies. I wasn't thinking about me. <laughs> you know, I cost money to that. <laughs> and they laid me off with a phone call, man. Phone call. Mm. You know, not even face to face. And the feeling, because I was already down at that time. I was really bummed out. I was, um, I was in a dark, dark place. I was going through depression. I was freaking drinking on the job, like not on the range, yeah. but I would bring like a Jack and Coke to work in a, in a big Coca Cola bottle and stuff like that. I was hating life. I was miserable. And that's what you got your your. Uh, I guess she's your ex wife now. Yep. She's. Dragging things down. Yeah, no support whatsoever. Disconnected from your former teammates that you spent your entire life with. Has no concept about that stuff. And not only disconnected from that, but disconnected from reality because of like prescription meds and stuff. So no connection between the neuroreceptors. Just dark space. Every once in a while, target of opportunity. You know, a moment of clarity. Mm -hmm. But all that shit sucked bad. And then getting laid off, you know, on top of it. It was like, holy fuck. And then the the uh, other half saying, oh, just get a job with another company. And I'm like, fuck that, man. I want to do something else. So I called three guys who own, own companies, mm-hmm. all good friends of mine, all ex-unit guys, and they all said the same thing. Yep, I will get you back. I will get you work if you need it. But dude, man, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. You can. You have the ability to do this. So they all gave me permission. To be my own guy. Mm-hmm. Best thing that ever could happen to me. Because that was 10 years ago. 
And I generated uh, my company, T-Max, and it, it just freaking detonated after that. <laughs> it went batshit. Yep. I mean, there's ebbs and flows. It's scary. You're running your own business, mm-hmm. you know? There's ebbs and flows. And I'm, you know, like, I got ripped off by a promoter. I had to go through uh, the sequestration 2013, all that deficit spending bullshit where I had all government contract stuff for the year. And then that light switch went out Boom, January. Gone. No money. None. <laughs> At the same time, I'm going through divorce. You know, and um, dude, that was hard. That was hard, but that was good. It was freaking awesome. It was so good. Those kind of lessons learned, you know, you really grow it, as a human being based on how you how you come out of a bad situation like that. You know, how how uh, how, how you uh, for me it was making uh, lemonade out of lemons. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, Trying to rekindle my past, trying to remember who who I was, what I'm here for, what my purpose is, and then I had to give myself meaning. You know, I, I needed to be uh, there. Needed to be a reason for me to get up every freaking day. A new mission. Yeah, every day, new mission. Yep, because that's what, especially special op guys, not just military guys, but special op guys, they need that purpose. They need that mission. So without meaning, without purpose. Um, you, you, you could you could falter. You could short circuit yourself, and you could you know start slipping into dark places. And you were slipping there, dude. I, I almost capitulated. I was close, bro. I mean, I was dark. I was at the bottom, bottom. And then I, it was a, it was a, it, it, it lasted for years. I lived in the bonus room above my garage for five years. I lived in the bonus room above my garage. Um, I wasn't a drunkard, but I was drinking all day, so nobody knew it. You know mm-hmm. that I was that I was medicating. Nobody knew it because mm-hmm. I would just all day long, all day long. Probably you know, eleven o'clock in the morning, start, um, and uh, I had no. I mean, I would go to work, I would get jobs, and I was faking it. I was faking the you know, get you some Pat Mac, you know, all that. I was just faking the Mac show, just faking it. And nobody knew where I was. Nobody had any idea. Uh, because I had no, I wasn't like hanging out. I had no close friends or anything like that. My kids were my close friends. Uh, and they were my kind of, my sanctuary or my mm. s- escape, you know, hanging out with them. Are you still working out? At that time, not very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm getting by because everything that I did, my, my, my now ex thought it was because I was having an affair. You know, so there's no ex- other explanation for me working out other than wanting to fuck somebody. You know, there's no explanation. Everything that I did was because it's an affair. And I had, in her mind, I mean, it was bad. When people, when you know, people, when I say, yeah, my ex is crazy, they go, oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, no, man, I'm not talking bitch or cunt. I'm talking legit crazy. <laughs> I had a girlfriend, imaginary girlfriend, living in her uh, closet for four years. Her name was Skeeter. Damn. I would come home and the cops would be at my house. And... She had taken all the light switch panels off and showing the cops that there are blue washers because I'm bugging the house, you know, stuff like that. Mm. I would come home for four. I remember doing this one trip for uh, 24th SDS, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, CCT guys, Mm -hmm. badass dudes. Uh, Four days training. I was wiped out, man. I was smoked. And I was coming back from, uh, it was up by uh, Moyak, Mm -hmm. you know. So for me, it was like a five-hour drive, and I am. I back in my driveway with the truck, and I'm looking in the rearview mirror, and all my shit is in the driveway. It's all in the driveway. And she's sitting on a stool. She's going through, like, my tackle box, 
you know, and all my tools, and it's all just a ma- everything. She's looking for clues or something, you know. <laughs> that was that was the I, I remember that night. That was the straw that broke a camel's back, and she called the cops that night. Cops came, and they said, "Hey, can you stay somewhere else?" I go, "Yep, absolutely," because there had been a hotel that I've been going to, mm-hmm. and it was just a mile down the road. Uh, next day, one of the cops calls calls me, and he says, um, "Can I talk to you?" Uh, so I, I said, where you at? He said, I'm at your house. I drive there. He goes, hey, I ran into your wife in the village. She's freaking doped out of her mind. <clears throat> he said, brother, <sighs> he knew he knew who I was, where mm-hmm. I came from and stuff like that. Very nice guy. He goes, you need to take radical steps and you need to get the fuck out of here. I know you're in it for the kids. Kids are um, r- resilient. They will handle, They will be able to handle this, but you need to get the fuck out. And I was going, oh, man, I was broke down. Because nobody at that, until then, mm-hmm. nobody, I, I realized, I, I, I felt that I was all alone in the world, that I was going through this shit, you know, that nobody had any idea. The cops had seen it because they have been there many times. <clears throat> but um, that night, I get jacked up again, uh, and I'm with my sweet son, uh, James, and, and I'm talking to him, and, and I remember telling him. How old is he at this point? He's probably, let me see, 30. What what seven? Okay. And um, he said, "I said, James, I don't just love you; I am in love with you." And he started crying. He, that really meant something to mm-hmm. him, you know. It really meant something. And then I realized, fuck, man, this kid really digs me, you know. <laughs> really freaking digs me. So I, he, I, he falls asleep. I take him to bed, <clears throat> and I go back up into my bonus room, and I realize that I need to make a change now. This has to happen now. So that hole that I was looking at, that I was I almost capitulated to, you know, I'm at the bottom of the hole. <clears throat> it was like an epiphany where I, I, I'm not letting this, this bitch bury me. I will not be defeated. I am not buried. I have been planted. You know, and it was, it was this moment of clarity I had. I put out my running shoes and uh, put my, um, my eye, my iPod, I, yeah, iPod out my head, headphones, uh, put out some shorts, and I said, all right, set an alarm clock. I'm going to go for a run tomorrow. No plan. Just let me go clear my head. <clears throat> Got up full of piss and vinegar. Put the shit on, and I ran. And I'm not a ground pounder. I like to sprint. I like running. But uh, I ran for about an hour and a half. It was nonstop. I just kept running around town, you know. Got back in my driveway. And I'm starving. And I look at the house and I'm going, ugh, this is the house where dreams going to die. I don't want to go inside. So I stay in my driveway. I work out for like another two hours, just up and down. I had some dumbbells and I pull up bar and I just work out for like another two hours. I mean, to the point of like incapacitation. Um, but that was it. That was my, that was my rebirth thinking. There's no way I'm going to be defeated by this. There's no way. And I, I am not buried. I have been planted. Uh, but that was the beginning of the whole. And then with the cop coming the day before mm-hmm. and saying, get the fuck out. So that day I got the fuck out. Um, Grabbed your shit and left? Yeah, it was just 500 yards away. I found mm-hmm. a um, condo because mm-hmm. I didn't want to be far from my kitties. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so it was like 500 yards as the crow flies. And just, pe- you know, I didn't need things. I needed my guns and some tools and that kind of stuff. And uh, packed up what I what I could and just freaking boogied, uh, yeah, and started that arduous process of domestic messiness. 
that lasted for a long time with me because I was trying to get custody too at the time. And trying to do that in North Carolina is like pulling freaking teeth. Yeah, in ADs. You need um, – there, there got to a point where I was going – the cop said, go see the magistrate. magistrate. I went to the magistrate. Magistrate I pleaded my case. Magistrate says you need to call um, mobile, uh, mobile, um, mobile crisis management. Mm-hmm. Call mobile crisis management. And they say, you need to talk to a shrink. I go to the shrink. They won't talk to me. They say, go tell the police. So send me in a big circle. Mm-hmm. So I finally talked mobile crisis management into, um, they said, we're voluntary. They have to voluntarily commit themselves. I said, can you at least talk to her? So they talked to her. They came out and said, yes, um, <clears throat> paranoid and uh, delusional, um, no doubt. I said, so what does it take? She goes, there has to be basically in, in the state, Something horrible has to happen first. Like, let me set the house on fire. Let me drown the kid. That kind of thing. Then, okay. Now it's okay. You got, yeah. It, it's. I said, are you fucking shitting me? This is how it works? I said, you're basically, that's what, those are my words. I said, basically what you're telling me is something horrible happens happen first. And they said, yep, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Something horrible happen, has to happen first. As you as you look back at this, yep. like from your perspective right now, because a lot of guys that um, a lot of veterans, a lot of guys that have gotten out, and a lot of guys, you know, I mean, they have, they have a rough time with it. Is there uh, advice straight up when when a guy's looking at the abyss, when a guy's thinking everything sucks, when a guy's thinking they, they lost their job, their wife's acting crazy, whatever, all these things pile up. Is there advice that you have for guys that get in that situation? What I always tell people mm-hmm. is like, you need to find a new mission. That's what that's, you need to that's do. That's exactly what I, 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 either mission or I say purpose um, or meaning. So, and meaning could be volunteering somewhere. Get, it could be going to the gym, you know, same. It's all, all semantics, yep. but per, you have to have purpose and meaning. You have to find those things. So one of the things, this is a funny, this, I, I volunteer every day. I have five guys I train at my gym. It's gratis. I do it volunteer, voluntarily. Um, but they're relying on me to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a gift. They always say, thanks, bro, man, because I'm changing their lives. These are guys I know. They work in the community. They, you know, it's my mechanic, my, uh, the, the owner of my pub, those kind of things. Um, but, you know, I'm changing their lives. But the other thing I tell them is, bro, thank you because, you know, you're getting me here. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting me here. You're keeping me on my uh, programming and you're giving me purpose and meaning. I'm still going to probably freaking get some anyway because that's who I am. But, you know, you're keeping me on schedule, keeping me on track, that kind of thing. So thank you. Uh, but, yeah, you got to have that, you know, new mission statement. Purpose and meaning, you got to have those things. Especially guys who've been in for a long freaking time. Um, and sometimes it pisses me off because I'll have guys ask for advice. And they'll say, yeah, I'm in a dark spot. You know, I have a loving wife and and kids who love me. And I want to tell them, bro, fuck you. I, you know what? Um, because I had to do that shit without that, with hate, with disdain. Um, and that's your reason right there, man. That's your mission. You got a wife who freaking digs the hell out of you and supports everything you do? You know that's your queen, bro. 
Lay out the freaking carpet. Mm-hmm. Make her, your mission is to make her coffee and cook for her or clean your house or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> make a lot of money so she's comfortable. Yeah, I don't know. And then what was it uh, as your business grew? Like what was some, what was some things that, that kind of accelerated your business? Uh, I think the big thing is um, I don't um, – all my eggs aren't in one basket. That's a big one But because that business is good. But I've been hit before by like sequestration and stuff like that. It could be a ammo crisis or whatever because basically my business is, is uh, you know, shooting combat marksmanship, close quarter battle, those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> that works well. That runs well because I have my own brand of training methodology and, you know, can't be replicated. We're all teaching basically the same thing. It's just that how do you deliver that? You know, what is your delivery platform? How do you relate? Because that's what people are buying. I mean, you could teach somebody to squeeze a trigger the same way I can, but how do you deliver that message? And then, you know, what words do you use and and, um, what demonstrations can you put together and how is this important um, or why? So um, that business goes good. And then I just, I keep putting, jamming shit into the pipeline. You know, when it, I mean, I still don't want to, man, when opportunity knocks, I'm like, yep, I'm snatching that up. I'm doing that. I'm, yep. Oh, man. And it's been a double-edged sword because the last couple of years I've got really smoked. So this year I cut back on courses. And I'm going to work more out of like home, do more mentoring and coaching like online stuff and, you know, selling more product, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What kind of products are you selling? Well, you know, I got the bands, uh-huh. the, the get you some bands. <laughs> um, and those are, you know, every once in a while I'll get them in stock. Um, and it's not something I have const- a constant flow of because I have to order them. They uh-huh. have to be made. Uh, I've got uh, – a sling ding, you know, that's for an AR. It's kind of like a modular monopod. I got books. I got uh, what kind of product do I have? Not a lot. Not a, not as, oh, I have like a store, you know, T-shirts yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, in case somebody wants to get you some. Yep, yep. <laughs> and that's one of the T-shirts, get you some. Yeah, that's one of them. Get your yep. blaze ops yep. on. Get your blaze on. And yep. you do, when you, when you uh, like I've seen some of your stuff where you've got like uh, blaze ops yep. 45s. Right. Weapons. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Are those, like, um, yeah. available? Uh, well, those – every once in a while I do a collaboration. Got it. With a guy, you know, and so I did one with um, – Because I know someone that needs a blaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. That Real was a 20, that was around a, here. Was 25. <laughs> only 25 of those are made. We got to do another run. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm collaborating right now with another company to do a different one. So it's, it's, it's very fledgling right now. It's in its infancy. Um, but, but I've done, uh, like a, a knife, you know, uh, a, uh, a knife by one company. I've done three different guns, different gun companies working on another one right now. It's just good to collab, yeah. you know, build partnerships with companies. For sure. Yep. Um, sometimes they work well, sometimes they do not. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody out there is, uh, there's some, there's some slimy motherfuckers out there. <laughs> there is indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, look, dude, it's been it's been over two hours. Yep. Uh, but so all the stuff that you're doing right now, you're getting after. You got you got um, Tmax Tmaxinc.com. Yep. That's where people go to hook up with your training. Which I looked at your schedule. You said you're not doing as much. Yeah, bro. Your calendar's 
Yeah. Pretty I mean, packed. It's not much more than two courses a month, though. Yep. For the, re- for the year. But you do them in different locations. Yes. People can go on there. Yep. You know, uh, and what I was going to say was you're like, hey, look, you know, people can shoot and, and there's, you know, thousands and thousands of guys that are really good with pistol. And then you kind of mentioned, <clears throat> but, you know, it's a methodology. But also, look, I instruct too, man. I teach leadership all the time. That's what right. I do. And there's a bunch of people that teach leadership. Yep. There's a, there's a communication skill set that you have right. where what you can do is convey the message properly that so people actually absorb it. Right. It's That's be- the important part. I like to say that, you know, the big thing about teaching is you have to be the right person who's going to say the right thing to the right person at the right time. It's important to know what to say, but more important to know what not to say. And the message has to be palatable, too. And then, you know, it has to resonate with uh, – resonate and be relevant but yeah man it's it, i love doing that i love the teaching thing um and and those courses are for everybody yes yep i do open enrollment courses yep. so they're for everybody so i get the full gamut of people i, th- I think most of them are sold out this year mm-hmm. i think the only one open i have a women's course and a beginner's course i've never taught either right yep. on where's never, the beginner's course because echo charles is signing up they're both um they're both in north carolina Flying yeah, to North Carolina, yeah. Echo Charles. Yep. I'll bring my party mix. All right. Party <laughs> mix. Yeah. So we got so we got tmaxinc.com. Then you yep. also have combat strength right training. Condi- it's combat strength training.com. Yep. yep. Which is where and you got look I, I, one of the reasons I didn't talk a bunch about this is cuz you got awesome videos online. Mm-hmm. You talk about what you're doing, you show what you're doing. Right. Um you got those courses Clearly, you're based on, and I hate to use the word functional right. because everyone uses the word overused, functional. Right. But yep. if go and look at your yep. your stuff, what you're doing, you can see clearly these are drills, skills, conditioning based on being able to function in a wide variety of environments, Correct. critical situations. Yep. Yeah, it's, the functional thing is overused and abused. Uh, I'll say it's exercise for the real world, maybe. Yep. Um, yep. I think that. What we do, or what I put together, it's all about um, life-saving or ass-kicking. You know, those are essentially it. And I put a lot of free information out there on my uh, Instashiz, on my Instagram. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, so that T-Max Inc. Yeah. Uh, Insta. And and the workout stuff that I put on there, it's not about hubris or gloating. It's, it's about, hey, this is a power day example because guys will buy my programming. And if they run out of... Uh, curriculum mm-hmm. uh, or ideas, they could just go back and say, "All right, power day, strength day, speed and quickness." All right, yeah, those are good ideas. Uh, yeah, so man, it's it's a great freaking platform, and that's what I use it for: information. Yep, yep. So those are the two: uh, tmaxinc.com. Yep. You got combatstrengthtraining.com. You got a Facebook, which is tmaxinc. Yep. You got your Instagram. Yep. Would you say Insta Shizzle? Is it Insta Shizzle? <laughs> no baloney, homie. <laughs> uh, I, he calls it the Gram. Bro, the Gram. I, I don't even call it that. What are you? Capital T, capital G, the Gram. And and yours, uh, you you do all kinds of. You, the other thing you do, you talk about there, which is which is awesome, is you give people a little heads up on you know you are your own protection yes, detail. Yes, right. Yep. So Sunday Sentinel sermons. Yep. So teach, teaching people, hey man, there's just some things to think about. Yep. And Everybody could use those things. Right. Because the world is not a happy, peaceful place all the time. Right. 
Yep. And it's really easy, easy to lose track of those. Uh, Echo, you got anything? Then I got a, my YouTube channel too, Pat Mack YouTube channel. Oh yeah, and th- th- those are uh, great shooting They're drills. Fun, you got you got all it's kinds ridiculous. of stuff. It pisses me off every time I see it because I know you're like either at your gym, at your house, at your range, and I li- of course live in California, right. in a city. Yes. So <laughs> the only you know, luckily I get to shoot my bow. But yep. I'm not cracking off rounds out my back right. door. I can <laughs> promise you that. So every time I see you right. climbing a fast rope and yep. cracking off rounds, I get yeah. so pissed. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, I'm moving to North Carolina. Yeah, Come bro. on. Free America. <laughs> what do you got, Echo? Anything? Oh, your bicep. Like, what? A, what's the status on it? It's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it, like if you were to look at me arm-to-arm comparison, one smaller than the other, and there's a big scar on, you know. Well, you said it, it tore on the, on the muscle. On the muscle, yeah. So did you have surgery? They, yes. They stitch yeah, it yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very freaking meatball surgery. <laughs> oh. our, our army base. Yes. You, you were an 18-year-old right. private. They gave that to, like, a new right. guy doctor. <laughs> yes. They were like, exactly. hey, we got one for you yep. there. Uh, I mean, first, the scar's gnarly. It's all keloid. It's, like, that wide, you yeah. know. And, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah. But, um Echo, it's fine, Echo tore it both of his. He tore each oh, of his damn. biceps. Oh damn! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what you have him operated on. Yeah, yeah. The tendon, though. Right. The tendon. Like, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's different, though. Yep. Crazy. Yeah. But it works, though. You're working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. Yeah, all my surgeries because I've had a bunch of them. Yeah. <laughs> everything's good, man. I'm yeah. I'm feeling pretty good, but I attribute that to how I train yeah. and I take oh, yeah. care of myself. So I work out pretty freaking smart. I'm a little more tentative now because I'm. 55 freaking years old. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm a little oh, more yeah. tentative when it comes to like mixing it up, grappling, freaking, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I don't need to get jacked up while I'm training. It's called fitness, not brokenness. <laughs> I got my own. Uh, the other thing is I got my own uh, podcast. Right on. And University of Badass. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. cool with uh, CJ. And what's CJ's deal? He's the metal motivator. So he used to be a, a preacher. Yeah. So we've got a pretty good get dynamic because he's got a gift of oratory, bro. I mean, mm. that guy could jack his jaws. <laughs> and he makes religion cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like a metalhead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his moniker online is the uh, metal motivator. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah. On. It's funny as hell. But we, and how yeah, often do you guys put out that podcast? Not often enough. Like once a m- month and a half, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. But it's fun. It's all upbeat, you yeah, know. Yeah. It's, yeah, positive messaging and stuff like that. Right on, man. Right on. Anything? Anything else? What did we miss? Anything? No, bro. I just really, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be sitting here with you. And uh, like I said, man, the interweb is a cool place if you use it right. You know, if you use that thing right, it's 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 a great platform that can help others. And then I get to I get to meet guys like you. Yeah. You know, and and you think you, it's like, dude, I already freaking know you because of the interweb. <laughs> sure. It's the same feeling I get every time. Right, right, right in, yeah, right on. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, glad you came out to California. Right up. You know, thanks for your 22 years on the grind. Cool, thank you. Know, you know, taking that, taking us as a nation from the Cold War. Yeah. Through to the war on terror, you know, if it wasn't for guys like you that that kept those skills up during all that time, it, that we wouldn't have been ready for you know what we faced on the battlefield. Right on, so, yeah. thanks yep. for your service, brother. And Rock and roll. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you, sir. <laughs> right on. And with that, Pat Mack has left the building, and we are here. Should be hopefully let's just say enthusiastic about improving our skill sets sure in life agree
in all aspects. Yes. Sometimes it might be hard to figure out of all these skill sets, where am I gonna put my focus? How do I prioritize and execute selecting proper skill sets to improve on? Yeah. What do you recommend, Echo Charles? Well, I recommend jujitsu, obviously. <laughs> but interestingly, right, so Pat Mack, he's over here ju- jumping at all opportunities to improve his skill sets. Every training scenario he was offered, jumped on it. Yep. Then what do you wind up with? A lot of skill sets. Yep. Very good. So many skill sets that you kind of forget you have them until the moment comes <laughs> and you're like, oh, you know, I, I, I can do that. Or I did that. Yeah, it's true. So don't D- let forget what skill sets you have until it's time to disarm a Bulgarian landmine. And you're like, I went to school for that. <laughs> yes. Pat Mack coming exactly in hot. Right. <laughs> so don't let jujitsu not be one of those skills. Yes. You, see what I'm saying? And you know, I. We didn't even talk about the fighting skills with Pat Mack for some reason. Yeah. Because uh, he's, you know, he does stand-up. He does the jiu-jitsu. He, his, his gym is primarily an MMA gym, actually. Mm. So, anyways, yes. we, including, including Pat Mack, agree. What is one skill set that you can utilize just about everywhere? The jiu-jitsu. It's true. So when we train jiu-jitsu, we need a jiu-jitsu gi if we're doing gi, which we recommend doing gi. So we are, in fact, doing gi. So get an origin gi. That's the answer. Best gi factually in the world. Many options. Quality. Arguably luxury. Arguably. Oh, is that kind of a, is that a, is that a problem for me? I don't know. Probably. When I put on my like rift gi, am I kind of? You're in, you're in the lap of luxury, yeah, Dang. for sure. It does feel that way when you put on a rift gi. Very luxurious, yes, sir. God. Nonetheless, it's functional as well. True. More importantly, yes. and just so happens to be made in America. Yeah, that's not just so happens. It's made in America through the determination. Yeah. The determination of the people of America on purpose. Well, it's yeah. not happenstance, no, straight no, no, up no. on purpose. There was people that said it couldn't be done, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Pete Roberts told all those people, really? Yeah, yeah. Watch we're, this. We're just going <laughs> to see about that one on that one. And so. it's cool to make geese in America. Unfortunately, it's not cool that you can't wear your gi all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, I guess that's not cool. Right? That's not sure. cool. I mean, you. I guess sure. you, well, let me rephrase that. You could wear your gi all the time, yeah. but... You might get some funny looks at the supermarket. So, I was, have uh, you ever worn your gi outside the gym? Yeah, the gymnasio. Yeah. So one time, actually, maybe no, one time <clears throat> where <clears throat> where I was up later than my lovely wife. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go in the room and like disturb her, maybe wake her up or something like that to go get a jacket. It was kind of cold, so I went to put on. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how you got a gi on. <laughs> I needed a jacket scenario is Uh, what's going on. But I didn't want to disturb, so I'm, like, looking uh, around for just, I don't know, anything. I didn't want to put a blanket on myself while I'm on the computer. It seemed kind of, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could have, but it kind of is not functional. You know, you don't get in the way when you're typing. You got to readjust. Anyway, I find the Riff Gi. (laughs) I put it on. It worked. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So that, there, there, uh, I was there sitting there wearing my Gi top. Outside of the gym. And up. what were you wearing? Were you wearing pants, joggers? Pants. Uh, no, no. Uh, I don't. Shorts. I probably was not wearing shorts if it was cold. But Good point. To well, be that's honest, not a good point for I, me, I though, because I wear shorts know. when it's cold all the time. Yeah. 
but your legs don't get cold, right? You know, that is true. You know, your legs. Yeah, I don't know. I don't don't remember, but I think it was pants of some sort. All right. Nonetheless, yes, we're getting origin gi. Yes, and because you can't wear a gi unless you're Echo Charles in your house, don't want to wake up your wife. Yes. Most of the time, you don't want to wear a gi around. Mm -hmm. If you need pants, guess what you can get? Jeans. Origin jeans. Origin jeans, which are also made 100% in America. And we just released the second version of the jeans, which are, the, the first version was called the factory jeans. They're a heavyweight, heavier weight. I guess technically they'd be a medium weight. But we have now launched the Delta 68 jeans, which are lightweight. Yep. People ask, are they, what is the word, flexible? Is that the word? Yeah, flexible. Uh, stretch. Oh, stretch. Stretch. Yes, they are. They're, they're, they're made to move. Yeah. You can do a full deep squat workout in your jeans. They're not jeggings, though. You know what jeggings are? No. They're leggings, but jeans. Oh, wait, no, no. They just look like jeans, but they're leggings. Oh. So they're not jeggings. Yeah. Kind of a violation of, like, Humanity with that. Hey, you're the one who said the stretch. You said the word stretch, not me, you. So, unless we got to clarify. So, Delta 68 jeans have some give in them. Let's just say that. Has okay. some give in them. They for allow you to move. Some freedom of movement. You want to do a high kick or something like this? Mm-hmm. Fine, right? You're good. Okay, boom. There you go. Delta 68 jeans are in the house, as it were. Also, joggers. Comfortable joggers. For people that wear joggers. joggers. In the event of you wearing joggers, boom, originmain.com. That's where you get this stuff. Also, supplements. Jocko, are supplements important? They are important. Then again, did, uh, not to split it, not to get put too uh, sharp of a point on it, mm-hmm. but it, it depends what kind of supplements. True, true. Uh, I recommend that you put supplements that allow you to get after it at the top of your list, i.e. joint warfare. Yes, sir. I.e. krill oil. Super krill. (laughs) Super krill. Keep Uh, your joints in the game. If your joints aren't in the game, you're not in the game. Straight up. Yep. Discipline. Discipline go. Discipline go. Pills. Discipline go. In a can. You're going to need more protein. Guess what? You might as well get a protein that tastes like dessert. Mm-hmm. You don't have to punish yourself with protein. Remember those days? Back. <laughs> if you wanted extra protein, it was a punishment. It was a punishment. Yeah, if you wanted the good one. Like, you could get the can. You know how, like, Mega Mail Mass, 5,000. I don't know if you ever had this. Oh, no yeah, one it was in the like big. 2,000, then big, it was 5,000. Yeah, it's in a big, like, dog yeah, yeah, food bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge thing. But yeah. it tasted pretty good. But I, I, I'm fairly certain Junk. there was, like, straight up sugar and all yeah. this stuff. And maybe, like, technically, I might add some protein in there. But it was, like, 5,000 calories or something like this. Yeah, it was just. You see what I'm saying? So, milk. You don't need to drink that junk anymore. Now you can drink milk. Mint. Strawberry, mint, strawberry, vanilla, chocolate, and peanut butter. Peanut butter. Yeah. Good stuff. And you also got warrior kid milk. You can hook that up for your children. Why would you give your children poison? No reason. Give them milk. I'll tell you the reason, man. Short term versus long term. Mm. It's everything. Everything can be broken down short term versus long term. So you can give your kids poison, as it were. 
or these supremely unhealthy uh, items Mm. for short-term gain. To keep them quiet, to keep them from complaining, to make to put a temporary smile on their face. You know why you do it? I don't even think that's the case, man. I just think you don't know. You just don't know. Now, yes, you're right. You go, okay, hey, I got this strawberry drink, beverage. Mm-hmm. It's going to keep my kid quiet, make him happy. You don't even know that there's an option, that there's something that could keep them quiet, make them happy, and make them stronger yeah. and smarter and better. Yeah, so you know how like you or we, whatever, will discuss that really most things, pretty much everything in life can be broken down into short-term and Mm long-term like battles, right? Most of the time, by most, I don't know really what I mean by most, but we'll just say most (laughs) of the time. Usually, if you choose short-term, it's at the expense of the long-term, usually. There are exceptions. Every once in a while, you get something that, fulfills both short-term and long-term mm. sushi in my opinion mm-hmm. warrior kid milk mm-hmm. that's another exception short-term gains short-term pleasure long-term uh not only satisfaction but long-term gains and by the way you can get all this stuff including jocko white tea at the vitamin shop or you can get everything that we just talked about at origin main the state m-a-i-n-e Dot com. It's true. Also, Jocko's store. It's called Jocko's store, and this is where you can get your very own T-shirts, your very own rash guard, more rash guards, more representative of this path that we're all on. Hats, hoodies. I don't know if I said hoodies already, but they're on there. Some women's stuff on there, too. Real good stuff. Good way to support, and more importantly, good way to represent. Yeah, it's a good bona fides when you're out in the field. Oh, big time. You're just in the airport, you're representing, and all of a sudden someone goes, they give you the nod. Yep, the nod. <laughs> they give you the nod. And we know if something goes down, we know at least one person we can count on yeah, over there with the bona fides. It's true. Got Very that deaf core shirt on. You're like, hey, well, this guy's got my back. Yeah, he's in the game. He knows. Put Beta. up the flag. Fully. Also, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on your iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to it. It's a good benefit to subscribe, right? You get the episode right in your, I don't know if you call it an inbox or what, but you get it on your phone. And also, don't forget that we have the Grounded podcast. It's true. And the Warrior Kid podcast. And don't forget, if if you're, if you like the Warrior Kid idea, you can support one warrior kid named Aiden who makes soap at irishoaksranch.com. Do we have it up on our site yet? No, currently we're finalizing some stuff, but I did get my sample of the killer soap. And? Very good. Approved. Big time, right? It actually smells kind of good too. Yeah, so, yeah, And yeah, it's yeah. not the, one of these flowery ones, oh, which no. I dig it. Here's the thing. I'm not mad at flowery soaps. I am. Okay. Oh, I dig it. I fully dig it, but I am not. In fact, every once in a while, I'll appreciate a little, not, maybe not necessarily flowery, but, you know, okay, like a, bro, like a, like a Irish, right <laughs> uh, like a, you know, like a refreshing, you see what I'm saying? Nonetheless, the killer soap has a scent to it. It's mild, but an approved scent to it. Well, I like it's, it. It's tea tree oil. Yeah. But. But is it a tea tree oil scent? No. That, well, it yeah, has tea like, tree oil, but what it actually smells like to me is mint. Yeah. Like a, like a, it's just, and it's. This, what about the visual effect? Yeah, see, yeah, that's it's a cool. Black <laughs> soap. 
Yeah, it's pretty it's good. so awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And you know what that soap is called? Killer soap. Killer soap. Help you get rid of little Microbes. nasties yeah. that are crawling on you. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing it helps you do is it just goes ahead and uh, it will help you stay clean. That's good. That's a good um, thing to be helped with for sure. Also, we have a YouTube channel. Pretty much you have a YouTube channel. No, no, no. It's the we. You're on the YouTube channel. In you're fact, the one bro, let's face it. You're on the YouTube channel. It's your sure. YouTube channel. Well, it's ours. I'm on there sometimes. If it's my YouTube channel, then what is it called? Jocko Podcast. Oh, okay. I guess that kind of okay, does yeah, make yeah. it mine. I think it's totally <laughs> yours. And... You know, you can see the video, video version of this podcast. You want to see what Pat Mac looks like if you don't know already. Yeah. Let's face it, a lot of us knew already what he looked like. See what I'm saying? But if you didn't or you want to see more, whatever, whatever, you can see it on the YouTube channel. Also, X some excerpts on there if you're interested in that, which is kind of cool. We've talked about it before. Fire. Fire. Explosions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Psychological warfare. If you need a little psychological... <laughs> uh, you can check that out um, on all MP3 platforms. Me giving you a little boost, a little spot, a little psychological spot to get over the moment of weakness. Flipsidecanvas.com, my brother Dakota Meyer. Got all kinds of cool graphical representations of the path. You can check that out if you want to hang up something on your wall that says discipline equals freedom. Or you want to hang up the warrior kid code. You can find it there. Got a bunch of books. The latest is called Leadership Strategy and Tactics Field Manual. Appreciate everyone hooking that up. And now what I see is people posting that they bought 14 of them for every person on their team. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, you get every person on your team moving in that direction, your team is going to rock and roll. So check that one out. For the kids out there, we got Way the Warrior Kid, one, two, and three. And we got for the littler kids, Mikey and the Dragons. Get those books. Get them for, even if you, even if it's like your neighbor kid. Look, is your life gonna be better if your neighbor kid turns out to be a, a loser? Turns out to be a drug addict? Turns out to be a, a non-contributing member of society? Do you want that kid living next door? No. no, you want a warrior kid living next door. Why not get your the neighborhood kids on the warrior kid path? Good point. Get them all the book. Get them Mike and the Dragon so they can overcome fear. Let's let's change the culture of America and make kids warriors. I don't think that's too. I don't think that's too much to ask. No, no, man, it's not. <laughs> uh, Discipline goes freedom. Field manual. There's a book that you get for yourself for people that you know that you want to help them help yourself to have more discipline because if you have more discipline guess what you're going to end up with more freedom hence discipline equals freedom field manual how to get after it and then there's extreme ownership and the dichotomy of leadership which are leadership books for you your team your business your life check those out we also have echelon front which is a leadership consultancy where what we do is solve problems through leadership. That's what we do. Go to echelonfront.com for details. We've worked with companies of all sizes all over the world, and that's what we do. So check that out. We have EF Online, which is a way to train the principles that we teach at Echelon Front, train them 
in your company, in your business, in your life, online, interactive, engaging. Check that out, efonline.com. We have the muster, which is our leadership event, leadership seminar, leadership gathering, and that this year is in Orlando. It is in Phoenix, Arizona, and it is in Dallas, Texas. Every, every one that we've done is sold out, and these are gonna sell out too. So if you wanna come, go to extremeownership.com for details and to register. And of course, we also have EF Overwatch and EF Legion, which is where we are taking military personnel that understand the principles of leadership that we talk about all the time, taking them and employing those leadership principles in the civilian sector. So go to efoverwatch.com for executive leadership. Go to EF Legion for frontline leadership. And again, if you want to check out Pat Mack, he has tmaxinc.com. And he also has combatstrengthtraining.com. He's also on Facebook, tmaxinc, and Instagram, tmaxinc. If you want to check out someone that's getting fired up with blaze ops check that out and if you want to hear more from echo and me well we're also on the interwebs on twitter and on instagram and on los frosh boca echo is at echo charles and i am at jocko willink and thanks once again to pat mcnamara for coming on sharing his wisdom sharing his experience And more importantly than that, thanks to Pat Mack for his service and sacrifice, holding the line, continuing to pass on knowledge to make people in every walk of life better. And the same, of course, goes out to all vets and all of our uniformed soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines out there training and fighting to keep us safe and free and to our police and law enforcement and firefighters and paramedics and EMTs and dispatchers and correctional officers and Border Patrol and Secret Service, thanks for your service as well, which also keeps us safe. Thank you for what you do. And to everyone else out there, listen, make yourself capable. Improve your skills. Be ready. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be able to take care of yourself and the people around you. And the way you do that is to go out there every single day and get after it. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko out.